Mean, mean. Um, so how you been? Ah, been doing all right. Uh, went to NOLA, got creamed. Um, <laughs> so opportunity to improve. Right. I mean, how much of it, like Oscar Bone Reapers are, like you kind of back, like you said, you, you feel like you backed the wrong horse going into this edition. But how much of it do you think was like OBR or like versus like just kind of like, you know, maybe not being prepared for the meta or, or yeah, what, what's your so, on that? I, I, there actually were very few surprises for me, which like, to me is at least a sign of improvement that at least if you're getting beaten, you're not surprised by the way that you got beaten. That's great. Um, yeah. You're seeing the lines of uh, play, right? Like you, yeah. Yeah. Like... How things, how things play out. You're not like getting caught up in a gotcha and be like, Oh, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, these things, it's just, I don't have a proper counter for them yet. Whether, whether that be a mix of play experience or the army itself. Right on, right on. Did you um, have... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I ended up going I ended up going two and three, and part of the issue was, like, I knew going in the list was a problem, but I, like, caught myself a few days short of being able to make any changes to it mm -hmm. um, in terms of having to build and paint different things. Um, so I just rolled with what I had and just did the best I could. Were you bringing a catapult? I don't, I'm trying to remember your list. No, okay. No, I, I had the Harvester, which I ended up, which I have now, my next big tournament is going to be Everwinter which is in Massachusetts in December. So for that, the I'm app, dropping the, I'm dropping the Harvester. Yeah. Dropping it in harvest, the Harvester for uh, 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 more Gassed Harbingers. Um, the Harvester, I, going in, like, I, I caught too late that I, I really messed up by going in with that. I, you know, we've discussed our problems with it, so. Um, but it was too late to make any changes, so I was like, yeah, I'll just do the best I can. Yeah, I want a proper monster. I like, I do like the Harvester conceptually. I don't know if it's like, all the way there, because it's not fully a buff wagon, right? Like, it's not really bringing anything else, and it's difficult no, to... No, it's just, just healing. Yeah, and, and um, I, I don't, like, for just healing, it's like, you've, you could just throw a Bone Shaper in there, right? And not be giving up a victory point. So... Yeah, I, I think I think they made it a little squishy because they thought the uh, healing would augment the low the low wounds, mm -hmm. but all that means is instead it's just getting shot off the board turn one yeah. before it can get close enough to do anything. Yeah. Um, I, people tend to see that and just go for it because it's a monster, so it's a free victory point, and you're getting it off the board early because it's not not that durable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so a little little bit of like a, a sort of like a weakness in the chain chain links, right? For for Osiric Bone Reapers, yeah. No, so um, I swapped in for Morgast Harbingers. That seems to be going better in the really All right. practice games I work with people. That three d six charge is it's so I fell in love with Morgast. I didn't play during the old world. Like I, I just didn't play. I was that that was on my hiatus of like becoming an adult, right? And uh, everyone has the same story, so it's, like, not really worth recounting. Like, we all stopped playing for, like, ten years and, like, came back to the game or whatever. Um, and uh, But I came into the game and I saw Morgasts. You know, they weren't around. Heck, Nagash didn't have, like, the, the God Gash model yet either. And I, I came and I saw those Harbingers. I'm like, these are awesome! And I heard the backstory was, like, they were basically, like, angel assassins sent to kill Nagash. And I'm like, and then you, like... And then he, like, broke their necks alike so and turned them into, like, these, his guard. And I'm like, that's the most Hades Nagashian thing ever. It's it, They looked cool. And so, like, like all 
noobs getting into the game, you really do try to force the cool-looking models to work for, like, a at the time it was mixed death. And my confirmation bias kept them, like... Mm. In... That was me in the har- that was me in the harvester. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. I I um I killed a thirty man unit of Arcanaut Company. This is during like you know the sort of like Byron or Day mixed you know mixed order with like a thirty block of KO and you know like a some just like you know just like that that old mixed order list and uh you know KO Clown Car was still around in its kind of original uh, sort of second version but still oppressive where they had changed some War Scrolls but not like nerfed the army under the like under the table yet and uh and so i was like man you know clown car is just you know wrecking me and uh because i, I want to run nagash so i'm running nagash and it turns out run two shooting from like 30 inches is just destroys him and um so i got really good at playing from the back foot in that type of matchup and i used harbingers uh as like little heat seeking missiles because they had enough movement to where like you know you're looking for playing for your outs if they're gonna like drop down and you sh- you can shield too pretty pretty easily behind some terrain and then just like fly over it and try for a three d six charge. I made a uh, eleven inch charge. He had his screen set um, for his Arcanaut. I can't even remember what he was screening with. He had his screen set for like the 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 juicy block of Arcanaut, and I couldn't quite make it to the Aether Chemist. Um, and I just like just just a million like just a couple inches better screen. And I wouldn't have been able to make the charge because he's like, he's not going to be able to like land in this one exact gap. He needs like a 12 inch charge to do it. He left this little slight room and I dropped them right in there and they killed something like 21 in the attacks alone and shocked the rest off. 30 man Varknot company with two more gas. And it was hard to put them on the shelf after that because it mm. was like, and they, they kind of kept doing it, you know, like they, they, they'd keep doing it. But eventually I put Black Knights in their stead because as games switched into attrition games when 2.0 kind of rolled around and it was a lot more attrition style style games with people that uh the uh the black knights were just that mobile tar pit that made the whole army work because it just you throw them out and then they're pinned in their deployment and then you're just like hop 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 with like a bunch of skeletons (laughs) so that was always a blast but yeah harbingers i don't know like i do think there's something to be said for the the pet units that you are affectionate for because the confidence it gives you playing with them. And I think that there there's, there's really like, if, if you think a unit always sucks and you play it like it always sucks, it's going to become a liability, even if the stats say it's great. Right. So I, I don't know. There's, yeah, sorry. I, I digress. I see Hades is showing up. Hades. How's it going? My friend, uh, welcome to rank cast one Oh nine. Uh, I'm, of course, the magical Mr. Mephisto, the most dangerous man, the spookiest man in Age of Sigmar right now, because it is uh, it is Meftober. Um, I'm joined tonight by Alice from Goonhammer, and we're going to be talking about how horror movies uh, can save the world. <laughs> How's it going, Alice? Uh, it's going well. Yourself? Yeah, not not bad. Not bad. Um, oh, I'll be better in, like, whenever whatever is going on right now in my, like, life just breaks this this just like speaking of like a battles of attrition i'm i'm standing on top of a i'm castling up on top of four grave sites uh in second ed rules and just trying to like endure the onslaught of like gavriel sherhart like deep strike bombs and stuff there's a the curse over your house yeah i don't know man it, it all the things just kind of it, it just every it's the the work life it's the it's you know some 
family stuff. There's some some drama with personal crap. It's it's not worth talking about on a show, but it's just I'll be a lot better when this is over. <laughs> it's it's nice. weird. We always nice. say how are you doing, and it's just like you reflexively say fine, and my I find myself accidentally really answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you made me watch. Uh, like, I, I don't know if, if if AOS comes up naturally throughout the conversation. We'll talk about AOS, and we probably won't get like you know the the usual audience. But I I personally, well, I guess why do you love horror? We'll start there. Like, what what is horror to you? Like, when was it like one movie when you were a kid? Was it the was it a, this this forbidden thing that you that your parents or guardians didn't let you watch, and then so you kind of like got put in a mystique? Like, when did the the horror was it Goosebumps? When did the horror when 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 did you kind of like go like I I like horror? Horror's my shit. Oh, that's that's funny you said that because uh, the um, the Goosebumps. I wouldn't even think about that, but that was definitely uh, definitely an early pioneering moment for young Alice um and I also just like uh as a kid I didn't have uh fear around movies or anything like that like that was never a barrier for me so um like watching horror movies uh probably when I was a bit too young to be doing so Mm -hmm. um was also instrumental um and there's I mean, as for why I like it now is like, I mean, a lot of it is just like it, that feeling of fear in a safe environment is, um, is always, is always good to feel. Um, it's, you know, it's an adrenaline rush. It always feels good, especially in the aftermath when it wears down. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's something to that. Like, I think, you know, fiction in general lets us, gives us kind of a safe, safe place to explore ideas. Um, I think horror very specifically gives us a safe place to explore trauma and like kind of like the really kind of crazier things. Um, you know, there's part of the reason we have nightmares is it's our brain essentially cataloging the emotional like duress that we're under from the day or whatever it is or the period of time that we're in. Uh, like we don't necessarily, you know, in the literal sense, you know, you know the, the classic anxiety dream of, like, someone's teeth falling out, right? Like, or uh, trying to run somewhere and not being able to get anywhere. Like, that emotion that you're feeling and that the, the sort of metaphoric dream state, like, puts in you is really just helping you kind of cope and process, like, trauma from the day. And horror movies basically do that in the sort of waking world, I feel. Um, you know, there there's some entertainment popcorn value to horror in general. Like all all films got that popcorn value. You know, like you you know sometimes it's just fun to like you know watch a bunch of teens get murdered at a like at, at, a, at a summer camp. Ha ha ha! It's funny. But like you know, there's there's something about that like something like more of the substantial horror. Uh, last week or not last week, last rant cast I had um uh, Constantinos uh, Kellis, uh, Greek's number one selling horror author, mind you. Uh, something he neglected to tell me when I was asking for show notes. Otherwise, I would I would have never shut up about it. <laughs> but uh, uh, we were talking a lot about Mike Flanagan, uh, you know, the uh, Doctor Sleep, Haunting of the Hill House, Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, and the sort of empathy aspect of it. Sure. And uh, and yeah, it, it, I kind of lost my train of thought. Wow. Uh, my microphone shows up says ooh Goonhammer they have good articles there yeah they do have some they have some probably I think as far as like sort of like a meta site I think it's probably the most complete site in in our in our community um, 
with a nice. good quality of article. So if Chat gang, if you haven't checked out goonhammer.com yet, head over there. There's meta-analysis, meta like, st statistics. Um, but I just like the sort of community that there's, like, a lot of community pieces, too. And, like, yeah, you get the, like, the Battletome reviews and stuff like that. But then you get the, well, I like adjacencies. You get some adjacencies there, you know, like. So I really like that. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, had, had, uh, had, uh, had, had. Had uh, I think Dino uh, is the nickname he approved of uh, on on last week, and we talked about like sort of like uh, I guess the writing of horror, but not so much the experience of like viewing horror and like what it does and that sort of like that aspect. I, I'm sure there'll be overlap between the two, but um, but yeah, um, how's it going, Hotspur? Um, so yeah, Mike, man, I lost my train of thought. I usually don't do that. I mean, I lose it, but I always, like, know where the rail leads. Usually recover it. Yeah. Um, no, um, one thing you did say, like, you know, maybe it'll come back to you and we can circle back around. Uh, one thing you did say in there that, like, kind of stuck out to me um, was, you know, about the... And I and I do think it's... Um, I think it's uh, something that... Um, it's, it's it's a very thorny topic to discuss, but you know, so so is horror in general. Um, you know, the the idea of, of um, broaching topics that otherwise might not be broachable. Um, you know, things concerning trauma. Um, you know, the 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 ugliness of our society um, and things like that. Um, it's it's very understated how powerful it can be to uh visit those sorts of uncomfortable emotions in a safe space um you know presumably you know the hope is that you know someone would be willing and consenting to do so of course it's not about that but there's you know that that's also why horror has always courted controversy um people you know are upset at the idea that you know you you're showing these things that are horrible and awful and it's like well you don't have to see them. That's that's your choice. Right. And there is uh, something overlooked about um, about uh, people who are consenting to do so um, to be able to see these images and experience these feelings in a safe environment. I'm speaking in a very abstract sense because it's sort of a, a difficult thing to yeah, it's it's hard down. It's hard to parse. Orson, I, I remember watching an interview with Orson Welles, and this actually goes back to when I, I was still doing games journalism. Uh, I did a, a piece on the ESRB, and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's actually what I was. The first podcast I was ever on was a, a TPN, the Technophiles podcast. Uh, Branching Dialogues was it, and and they're kind of like a, a whole network. They they do a, a bunch of stuff. David Geisler is one of the most talented individuals I've ever freaking met. Um, like indie actor like you know designer does audio like I, I like one of those people that that's so talented at so many different things they offend you like you're just angry <laughs> like <laughs> i know the feeling um just like i i work so hard to be like a passable writer and a decent broadcaster and here you are with just like 16 things you're great at like flip the table <laughs> but uh, uh, no, it's, it, we I did a I did a piece in the ESRB, and that's actually what got me on on the Technophile show um, to talk about like sort of like the ESRB and ratings and stuff like that. And I always think it's 
I, it's weird because I'm like paradoxically for content warnings on YouTube and stuff like that, like letting people know what they're going to get into. And I feel like I need to throw out some sort of blanket content warning because this episode might go some uncomfortable places. Like, I know I want to talk about Jennifer's body a little bit. Um, and that's that like, I'm not going to go into the explicit aspects of it, but it is, it does use like sort of, uh, this, this metaphor to like basically smash the patriarchy is like literally what it's about. But like, I'm, I'm for content warnings. But I'm, par- but I, I kind of like don't like an organization enforcing their prudish values on my art, and so it's mm-hmm. like one of it's it's more about giving people the awareness if they want to engage with this, and the other is about make monetizing it, and that though that I guess that's the distinction. Like I don't like that there's a company out there. Well, well maybe if you pay a little a little bit and you know uh, do us a favor this time and take off one f bomb, we won't give you an X rating on this. Like that crap bugs me, but. I don't know. Like, I, I don't like people profiting off of like in like imposing their values on my art. You know, I just that bothers me. But, but I, I digress. I know I'm being like a. I, that's it's a me thing. Like I'm, I'm I'm being you know I have a weird dichotomy when it comes to that. It's a me thing, not not a you know the world thing. I guess. Um. But but when I was doing that um that article I wrote, I I I, I happened upon this this YouTube video of Orson Welles talking about horror comics and defending horror comics, because at the time. Uh, the BBC. This is old black and white video. You can you can look it up. Vi- talking about like violent films and horror comics and the effects on on youth. And Orson Welles had this like really great like I don't think horror comics or art leads to delinquency. Um, if so, you'd had a lot of like you'd have had a lot of people coming out of the the Globe Theater in the Elizabethan era, doing a lot of great things for society. You know because you know the notion that it would go the other way, right? Like, that... I've since kind of refined my thoughts because the internet has gotten out of whack since my early days of telling people to shut up about, like, my video games and stuff to... to realizing that, like... Like, obviously art matters, right? Like, obviously, you know, it is a powerful thing. It gets in your head and it makes you think and, and the best art has you sort of recontextualizing your own reality. Um, now, I don't think it leads to delinquency or violence because there's a difference between thinking some shit and doing some shit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe somebody, maybe someone already prone to violence now has like a like effigy for their violence, you know, but but they're already going to do the violent thing is my thought, and we've had study after study after study in terms of video games and comics and art and horror, and that controversy just constantly surrounds it, and rather than look at sort of life systemically and the other factors that cause violence in our society, we jump to the easy scapegoat of of horror. With horror specifically, and this is where the, the tonight's clickbaity title comes from, horror saved society. Like, Hollywood was dying in the 80s. Not that Hollywood is, like, the best thing ever, but the television market was essentially destroying, just like uh, the comic book market, superhero market was dying, too. Um, And horror comics started to come out and and revitalize comic book and print sales. And, uh, you know, all the way back to, like, schlocky Penny Dreadfuls, which aren't necessarily, weren't necessarily horror, but the schlock of it, the... There is this sort of thing with our society that, like, the sort of, like, the schlock of it all, the the un- the stuff that, like, the underclass and the marginalized like 
tend to be the things that get the most heavily scrutinized and gate kept as not art and these aren't high art and yet they are the things that in the end drive those industries and those artistries to upper uh, up to the upper echelons of like consumability and propriety like horror saved comics and in the 80 the the sort of 70s and the 80s television was like crushing crushing the film industry um film was dying made for television movies were all the rage and two things happened the vhs the vhs and hbo basically the home box office right so vhs came out and um the con the sort of contraband that horror movies became horror and porn because porn also saves society um like the the contraband that horror became would drive people to like go buy it and like go home and watch it on their VCR but then it would have this sort of cyclical engine effect and drive them to the theaters as well so you you talk about like halloween you have films that were made relatively on the cheap you know halloween friday the first friday the 13th the first nightmare on elm street like think of a horror movie from like the 70s and 80s like yup um one I, I really love to champion is the original 1974 Black Christmas because uh, slasher is a particularly criticized genre, subgenre within horror as more more visceral and more cynical and more, you know, abusive and so on and so forth. Um, paradoxically so. There's a lot of violence towards women in, in slashers, but a lot of women interviewed who went into horror career acting careers essentially said that yeah but there's more women in there's more opportunities for women in horror films like they put more women on screen so there's like this paradox of like the violence towards women but then also opportunities and being and then represent the scream queen era like represented like having women actually like represented and then you had this this film 1974's um uh, uh black christmas where yeah. All the tropes of the genre were like, oh, you know, puerile virgin girl must win and all that crap. Like, it didn't do any of that. The main protagonist is, like, pregnant. It's like a whole B-plot that, like, she's pregnant out of wedlock and ain't, ain't gonna take no man's shit. It's great. It's, like, amazing. Um, sorry. Uh, catching up on chat. But, yeah, there, so there, there's this this thing where, like, the, the like horror sort of becomes... Like because it is it exists somewhat on the fringe initially, or or is seen as low art, it feels more accessible to the public, and then it gets enshrined in these little like moments of you know forbiddenness, which make like youths seek it out, and it drives it essentially like sort of drives this engine. Like they they've there's a few books out there that sort of talk about like the v, about VHS and in particular horror. Because of of all things, uh, full screen and uh, 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 full screen formatting, like the Alien movie, because they had to chop it into that four to three ratio from the what sixteen to nine or whatever, uh, it made the whole thing more claustrophobic. And so when you actually watch like Aliens and it's like original widescreen production, it doesn't feel as scary. Because you get these like these wide panning shots and stuff like that, and like there's just you might even miss the alien in the background, you know, and because you didn't know where it was even more because they had stuff clipped off, it made it even scarier. So, but I think it's 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 very particularly of note that like that like the underclasses art 
and the under and the the marginalized people's arts, you know, you know, queer, black, so on and so forth, their stuff always gets gatekept and like looked down on the most, and then it always ends up sort of driving culture in the end anyway, which is you know, kind of kind of awesome. I, there's a clip. There's a clip of a uh, um, Siskel and Ebert um, from uh, the time that uh, um, Friday the Thirteenth, the original one, came out, and it's uh it's fascinating to watch because Ebert goes on this very extended rant of um how uh, nihilistic the film is that um you know it, he he says some things that just feel very bizarre and very quaint today mm-hmm. uh, about how uh, the movie just says that you know nothing matters uh, you're gonna die your friends are all gonna die uh, nothing matters so um you know, fuck it. Um, that's not the word he used, obviously, because it was on the show, but, um, which is number one of, it feels like a very strange takeaway from that, um, to me. Uh, and number two, of course, just how horribly quaint it feels by today's comparison. I mean, you watch Friday the 13th now and it, it's certainly it's violent, but it's, it's again, you know, also too a lot of cinema, a lot of horror movies that era, you know, at least the ones that got theatrical releases, uh, tricked your tricked your brain you know they use cutaways and things like that and so by comparison to the stuff that you can do now it feels very quaint and yeah uh not particularly gory um but it kind of shows that you know how those you know how those milestones change at the time you know it was this earth-shattering thing that was going to uh corrupt teens or whatever and now it just it's a it's staple. well first off the series is a staple of pop culture you'll see you know kids in jason costumes every Right, I, I'm. I've um, got a Freddy Krueger. Uh, speaking of children, children murderer costume. Freddy Krueger is ready to go right now. Sorry, Ickit Claw. It's Ickit Claw. It's an Ickit Claw costume. I've got the glove and everything. Um, no, you're right. The pop culture staple and that transition, like what when horror does that, which is kind of fascinating. Like watching this thing that's like scary become like like rock star status. You know, like a little bit with um. Not so much the Babadook because people are still terrified of it, but but like but like um what's it called? Midsummer. The way Midsummer is mm. like is like celebrated in the in this like artistic way and like is his is like oh like it's the one you can talk about in conversations is oh this is a great great it's not just a great horror movie, it's a great film and like how they have to like you get to put those caveats on it, like it gets to jump over to being film. I always find it fascinating the things that they choose that is allowed to be art. This happened with David Mitchell's uh, uh, Cloud Atlas, uh, the book, and, and I, I still haven't seen the movie. Um, I, I'm sure the the Wachowskis crushed it, but um, um, the the book got claimed as like literature and not mm-hmm. sci-fi. You know, like George Orwell, uh, 1984 is literature. It wasn't sci-fi. Like you know, like we always. But Ray Bradbury's sci-fi, like that's that's not. It's it's always interesting, the things that are allowed to like cross over, and um, obviously, just the uh, the success of the franchise. Success is one way to cross over, right? Like it's just, it's just too successful to be contained. So, um, kicker, thank you so much for the uh, the tier one sub. Nineteen years of supporting the stream on a seventeen year streak, no less. Hell yeah, um, Matt. What are your hopes, predictions for this weekend's reveals? Chaos Spider Cultist seems like GW's Halloween special. Uh, I mean, uh, 
Well, Alice, I've I, I've talked a little bit. What do you? What are your predictions? I've I've got, I've got a thought. It's not really a prediction. I mean, the only thing I'm really expecting is um, whatever the book next month is going to be. Um, and um, we know it's chaos themed. That's that's all. That's all that they were clear on. Uh, and I know you know sort of the current throughout has been that it's going to be beasts of chaos, which I think would be a uh, be good for them because it's a dumpster tier book. Um, but there's there's a lot of you know there's a lot of chit chat too about um, about uh, that they might get squatted because due to some concerns about the Stormcast Eternals book. Um, so if they put that out, that would put a lot of fears to rest as well. But the other one that would be interesting to see is Nurgle, because it's still bewildering to me that it's still a first edition book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the the, uh, the teaser said blessings in it. Uh, it had the uh, the the chaos star in the background, and it was like a little furry, spiny, or, or toothy. I think Nurgle. Like my mind just says Nurgle when I I saw the iconography. Just, I mean, just because it's a first edition book and it's one of two still like that, which is frankly bizarre yeah um though though it's i i feel like from a lot of the nurgle players that i played against that uh they might be a little concerned because uh getting your book updated might be a downside in a lot of ways it would be i, I that's the thing is i think they're gonna get less book, powerful yeah. that somehow stayed that somehow stayed relevant um despite its age so i i mean that's, that kind of has to make you look back on it and go like Damn, they wrote the hell out of this book, like a little bit, like just you know, right? Well, like it's it's more it's more the rules changed around it because it has a lot of stuff where like Holy Within didn't exist yet, right? So you have a little more leniency. Though personally, if it were up to me, I would go back to that. Maybe reduce the ranges a little bit, but remove the Holy Within. I think it's too micromanagey as it is to do Holy Within. I think Holy Within uh, just needs I, to be jettisoned from the game entirely. Like I don't care if I you get, reduce I the ranges, with- but. Like, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, I get what they were going for. They wanted to avoid the conga lines and just having, like, one little guy stepped in to count for the whole group. But, like, they've done so many other things to try to cut down on conga lines. I don't think that's really necessary. Exactly. Just make it within and cut down the range a little bit. Uh, okay, um, and then um, uh, one of the other ones that stuck out to me is there's a um, there is a uh, a spell that does mortal wounds on a six-up. It does not say unmodified sixes. So... You know, with the proper buffs, especially with all out attack, you can get those on fives um, instead. Um, So that's another thing that they'd end up losing. So it's sort of the rules just sort of changed around it, and somehow Nurgle has stayed the test of time because its interp its 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 existence uh, had rule writings that were beneficial to them, which is ironically very fitting of Nurgle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like the sort of lord of decay uh and you know rebirth essentially right like it doesn't it doesn't doesn't change but society moves on and somehow it sticks yeah no it's great no see i i my thought is or i guess prediction is that it's going to be nurgle related my hopes my dreams are beasts of chaos though like um i i agree uh, uh beasts of chaos isn't dumpster tier um honestly it never was but that, that, anyone that might that might be harsh. It might be. It, I, I I guess dumpster tier is harsh. It's it, it could use a little bit of a glow up, definitely, yes. and it's probably mostly dumpster tier just because nobody's playing them. Which I, you know um has nothing not, has nothing to say about the army itself. It's uh you know it's just that people aren't picking them up for whatever a, reason. There's a there is a like a little bit of like a, a like a chicken or the egg type thing that that happens with this community between like the, the recency bias and 
and the, you know, who's playing it. Like, on one hand, yes, none of the, like, the best players in the world are playing certain armies at any given time, and so their their stats are going to go down. But also, the best players in the world sometimes don't play those armies for a multitude of reasons. Not because it's bad, but it's not their style, they like this new thing better, so on and so forth. And there's a little bit of that, like... It's difficult to tell where it is because it's bad. It's dropped because it's bad, or it's dropped because it's just kind of like not the new, the new hotness. And Games Workshop does this thing constantly with everyone's army, where they take like a book's life lifespan, right? Like a three-year span on like an I'll say an army army lifespan, three years in an edition. Like if Zinch or or you know Zinch is like a, a prime example. The demons will be good, okay. Then the different demons will be good. And, you know, but it's the mortal demon swing happens at Nurgle. The mortals are good, then the demons. And, like, they kind of, like, that pendulum swings back and forth. And this same rotation's not as easy to identify with other books because they're not split down the middle between demons and, and, um, you know, whatever. But, like, for a while, their brutes were the best thing Iron Jaws could put on the table. Then it was Ard Boys, you know, and then, and they flip back and forth. Like, they'll, they just do this thing. And what ends up happening is, like, to make brutes the best thing on the table, you have different enabling pieces. So if you're running Iron Jaws in its best form at one point, and they kind of nerf the thing that is its best form and buff the other thing, you're faced with a decision to either buy a new army or buy half a new army. But if you buy a whole new army, you get the new hot, like you get that new hotness feel, right? And I think that that like that churns people through, like that that keeps people from like sort of discovering old tech. I guess is what I'd say, uh, how I put it. Um, just a little bit. Like, there are enough people out there that do try to, like, keep stuff new. And sometimes there are armies that just fall into irrelevancy, like Slanesh, uh, for a little window there, right? Um, at the end of last edition, prior to the 3.0 rules. Like, there was just a window there where they felt like utter trash tier. But, but even then, I think the reaction was a little overblown. And now we're seeing people... Okay, we're going to put... We're going to put... Uh, we're going to put Sousa in the bubble... Doesn't count, but other people are p- pulling down four and ones and wins with them that aren't Bill Souza, and it's just like that's not a case for Slanesh is good. Actually, everybody, um, Slanesh still needs changes um, because the way it wins is not fun. <laughs> like people don't want to play this nickel dimey summoning game. Like uh, people want to like four twenty blaze it, do all the cocaine, and like and just like fly across the table and just like screaming that's how they want to play Slanesh and I get it um, BOC is an hard army to collect not easy to jump on in a tournament yeah it's it's hard to play in a tournament too that's a, Beast of Chaos to play it optimally you're, you're bringing at least 120 models and it's just like you have to be of a certain mindset to play 120 models in a quick enough time to get your wins and put your weight, throw your weight around the table, which uh, the same thing happened with Gits. Like Gits had like some good builds. It's just like, do you want to play three hour games or do you want to get your tournament? Do you want to get your you do you want to actually finish games at a tournament? Right, like so. There's some of that too. I don't know. We need a Renegade and Heretics nine ed. I don't know what that means, but welcome to the chat. Uh, welcome to checking there, uh, Coco Addy. Yeah, it's it's it. it I mean. That's why I only really dusted my Beast of Chaos off for, for uh, team tournaments, or uh, doubles tournaments. 1,000 points of BOC, I'm still putting down like uh, like uh, like six, uh, like 80 models or something like that. But then Haywo is just playing uh, Beast Claw Raiders, so we had Beast, Beast, 
Beast Beast Chaos Raiders of Chaos or something. I can't remember how what we said it was. Um, and you know, balance out. We had a real army. Um, I yeah, Beast of Chaos. I I just want sweet monsters and maybe some new models. So I'm selfish. I but I am selfish. That's that's my thing. Um, I I'm never I never lie about my biases on this show. <laughs> Death is best. Beasts of Chaos are sweet too. Buff all my stuff. I, it'd be cool if you buff my friends' stuff too and give my friends my friends things, but but I have an agenda. <laughs> mm. Apparently, it might be corn. Yeah, I, I could see corn. It, like corn and Nurgle are the two blessing, you know, gods, right? Yeah, and I guess I guess corn could use a boost too because uh, the nerf to priests really hurt them. Or, I shouldn't say nerf to priests, but the way the rules changed around priests really hurt. Yeah, them. I mean, that's an easy fix. You really just give them an... Like, you write on blood boil, right? Like, you can you can spam this. You just yeah. do that on... You just write that on the on the things that should be spammable, like blood boil. It's... They're... The, I said... They just did this shit with command abilities. I said the only reason you write things restrictive like this is so that you can make rules that break this rule later on. Uh, I said that when 3.0 came out. I'm like, look out for the units that are going to like just be able to break these rules. Uh, any of the limitations. Yeah. Like, you, you can do it without... They, they did it with Oceanic Bone Reapers a little bit, right? Like, you just break the rules. It, that's that's fine. Setting everything in, like, on like a fulcrum of basic balance and then remembering the exceptions is way easier, though, than just a game of all of the exceptions and no fucking rules. Do I think Death should have priests? Um... <sighs> I, I was snarky about this today, um, but I was just being snarky. I actually don't care. Like, Alice, do you have an opinion on that? You're, you're a death player, too. Yeah. About um, death getting priests? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd like it because I don't... I, don't, I just, I mean, I admit I don't like being locked off from a, a certain portion of the game. Or at least it should be my decision to be able to opt out of it. Um, right. you know, it's, right. it's much the same with, uh, you know, armies that don't have wizards, even, even if a priest isn't as essential as a wizard, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be, a, I think it would be a nice addition, yeah. um, for some versatility. Plus there are certain, it, 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 it be, continues to bewilder me that Nagash had the priest keyword for two editions mm-hmm. and then at the 11th hour, they pulled it just before the priest keyword would have actually meant something. <laughs> <laughs> very peculiar that they did that yeah and Osiric Bone Reapers feel especially like they should have it like they have an entire society culture like they have a literal church like a a literal clergy class cast an entire mm-hmm. like clergy cast in it, and like that it feels like they should and Nagash has officially ascended to full godhood now yeah like, you think he would have priests like he's a full god. Where are the death cultists that like like have a bunch of necromancers and death mages that are like worshiping death and stuff? That's human society has done that for like two hundred thousand years since like the first Homo sapien sapien like showed up, right? Like like we've worshipped and feared and revered death in in one form or another. Like throughout all of it's it's not a big leap for the fantasy world of infinites to have you know. Some humans that worship death as like a literal like you know religion um, that that feels like really like a slam dunk idea. Um, it's weird because like I like what you said about player agency. 
Because I think at the core of everything when it comes to like game design, it comes down to let me make the choice. And mm -hmm. I think that that's... Uh, I can tie that into uh, content warnings too, by the way, is let me make the choice. You know, I see the content warning, I go, do I want to watch this video? Yes, no. Like, um, like it, let me make the choice. You know, don't tell me I can't do something because, you know, even even Sigmar has the meme, the hell I can't, and he hits the button. Like, that's kind of how I feel when, when someone tells me I can't do something. And you don't want me carrying that resentment into a, into a scenario where I can't do something at all because then I just get agitated, right? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, I well, something related to that. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of the things I said. I one of the comments I made in my review of um, of uh, the Stormcast books was uh, Stormcast and Oric books is that I when they took away the mandatory artifacts and command traits i said that was great i think that was a good choice because it um it'll give players increased choice and flexibility but then when i go to the page where the command traits and the relics are um there's the list has been pared down there's um a shorter list of options than there used to be and i'm just like not sure i much care for that because um the um to me it's there's there's certain strengths in paring down your options get out some of the 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 trip chaff the fat. so it's yeah, not trip, trip the fat, space. right yeah yeah but on the other hand it's like i kind of like the idea of having lots of options and letting the players sort of organically explore what's the best option just sort of throw a bunch of stuff to the wall see what sticks um and i think that there's benefits to both um and so that's like that's where player agency comes in it's like i i, I like people to be able to make those sorts of decisions rather than the the game designers uh, taking too firm of a hand in my list building experience. I agree. I agree. Um, the best thing will always emerge and people just take that, which is fine. And that's not an argument against having options because sure. like, first off the illusion of choice we've done study after study is far more important than giving people actually more choices. Like having the illusion of like two choices, but think having only like actually they've done study studies on like, you know, like giving people, uh, like predetermined conditions and like uh, where they think that they have a choice, but they really don't because of the way that the, the scenarios are set up versus like, actually you can choose anything. And then like people almost always ha report having more like enjoying the experience of like not really having a choice better. The illusion of choice goes, goes very, very far uh, in game design. But the thing is like, give me actual choice. Cause this is a list building game. Um, mm -hmm. Like, like don't, don't lie to me, you know, like a video game gives me the illusion of a choice and it's like always just running right. Like, uh, that's part of the social contract of a video game. You just said that I get to build my list of stuff. Uh, let me have choices. Like, uh, I feel like the SBG has a Necromancer faction still coming. I, I think we have one more army in the chamber. Um, obviously, like, there's nine more Tarks, but I wouldn't be counting waiting for all nine to show up. Uh, I mean, cool. I mean, that that's the sort of thing you, as a writer, you write down just so that you're never written into a corner. Okay? But sure. uh, but I feel like um, I feel like we've got one more. I do think we're going to get, like, either, like, the wacky-ass AOS army, like, just AOS death shit that just makes no sense. Um, which, like, us, Eric Bone Reapers, yeah, a little bit. But Night Hunt, yeah, a little bit. But, like, I know what, like, 
bone I know what bones and ghosts are, right? Like so we might get something like out of left field that's just like totally crazy. Um but I think death mages especially are like ready to I think that's a, a concept ready to be fully fleshed out fleshed out like with like flesh golems and stuff. So see what I did. Sure. See what I did. That was a pun. Flesh, uh, <laughs> uh, you did it. I didn't even get the groan, which was <laughs> Um I think SBG is missing a dynasty, right? Yeah. Yeah, they might be missing a dynasty. Um, there are five. We have four right now. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I do think they'd be crazy not to do something with Wraithfleet, but I thought they were crazy not to do Wraithfleet back when the It's Vampires slash It's Vampirates whole meme started. Uh, like, it's just, it writes itself. Something that easy, you, you, you take that. Like, you take that shot, right? Like, that's, it's, if they do something where, like, like uh, they release a sort of Night Haunt wave two book where like you get night haunt but honestly that's a robust model range right like that's a that's a meaty army and most of the sculpts are great like you you don't need to add a bunch of new models to that for a second wave you need a new book a couple models to hype the release like a new monster and maybe a new hero and boom done and they kind of already released the new hero right with the cruciator so like release a new maybe a unit of something that's not a, they've got, like everything in Nighthunt flies, so it's basically like they're all cavalry. But they 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 could they could stand to have another cavalry, like some Dreadblade Harrow Harrow style, like elite unit of like Dreadblade Harrows that are nifty neat and they teleport around in little five blocks and they do some shit. Like I could see that. Um, I would love for them to have a terrain rule where they haunt terrain. That's just in my wish list. Like I want Ooh. them to haunt the terrain. Like that would oh, so cool. Like not necessarily a terrain piece themselves, but like they get terrain piece style rules where like they point at like a, and that's haunted this this turn and then it's just like <laughs> like it's that'd be you know spooky um but like with a wave two like them the way you could sort of sell some extra stuff is if you release like one of their unique rules is that they can pair with a bunch of vampire stuff as the sort of like allies but not allies actually and you have this little like wraith fleet sub faction or something like that which it can be some SBG stuff and some ghost stuff. Because then you would get that, like, the full Neapolitan death effect, which is something people want. And, uh, and, uh, it, again, it's, it's already in the lore. It's already in, in, in Firestorm. You know, a vampire leads a ghost ship filled with ghosts and stuff. Make mm -hmm. me, make, allow me to do it in the game, please. Like, uh, I guess you could release boats for ghosts. <laughs> Yeah, good idea. Maybe we should call it Legion of Grief. Yeah, Legion of Grief didn't do it right, though, because the Legion system was dumb to begin with. And me and Ian, the only two people in the entire world, said so to said so when the, when, uh, when the LO1 book first came out. <laughs> Which is, so we trauma-bonded over that, and that's why he comes on, on Rantathon every year now. Um, <laughs> but, no, like, it, I, the, the idea is good. The execution... Like, that's the thing with with AOS. Like, I don't think I ever really fault them for their ideas. It's execution side. They have bad ideas that they ex execute great, and then people just, like, you can feel, like, the greatness of, of the execution. You're just like, oh, so this is good, actually. Uh, like, Cities of Sigmar is a fine idea, but the execution was better than the idea, because, like, what if old models sell more was the idea? That's not really, like, inspiring in terms of, like, 
thematics and what is it doing for progression of the narrative? Oh, locking it in 20 years ago? Oh, yeah, way to really progress the, the vibe and the world feel is by telling me things from in the timeline a million years ago are still around. Cool. Big if true, dog. Big if true. But, like, so, like, conceptually... Yeah, I said it. I think Cities of Sigmar sucks, uh, but execution-wise, it was it was excellent. It was great for the game in terms of like letting people still play with their toys, like having a good like range of models and rules, and you know all the stuff they did in it. Uh, battalions sucked, but hey, that didn't matter in the long run anyway because 3.0 got the last laugh on that shit. Um, <laughs> and so, so like, I, I had I, I had to give an example of execution over idea, so. I, I had to take a shot at Cities of Sigmar. Don't at me, Cities of Sigmar players. Um, <laughs> but if you want to, at MR underscore MEPH on Twitter. Um. <laughs> and please follow us in the process. Yeah, follow, like like and subscribe. <laughs> Leave a comment below on the YouTube uh, VOD. Mm. Yeah, Legion of Grief was a, a decent idea. The idea of ghosts and... Is a good idea. Making allowing Neapolitan death to still be a thing is a good idea. It's just execution's gotta, <sighs> gotta match it. I think um, there's enough old school death players out there that want their cities of Sigmar death edition. You know, like, and I respect it. So, like, w speaking of lore again, we all of Shyish is like li the living and the dead coexisting. That's like the whole shtick. Like you get to live with your like your grandfather dies and worship and believed in this afterlife, so they're just like in the town that is that afterlife with you building shit. It's it's pretty radical. Yeah, mixed race order is cool, but like they didn't really again. But there was like there was they didn't really add anything new with it. They just said, oh yeah, and I then mean, go ahead. To be fair, I think that those were really intended to be you know, narrative options and then but by by making it match play available you are setting expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the issue coming in from Total War. Where where microphone, sorry. Vampires were my favorite faction in Total War. I was shocked to learn they didn't exist at all on the tabletop then or now. Yeah, uh Vampire Coast and, and that's always been a, a big line I've held pretty firmly. Is Games Workshop's digital IP makes more than half their money, the five billion dollar corporation, like they're uh, in terms of like profits, five billion dollars in profits. That's not even their operate. That's after operational costs, five billion dollars, something like that. That doesn't even like that's not their value as a company, mind you. That's something like twenty six billion. Um, but the five billion dollars is their their like market share profitability, which is pretty pretty insane. That's that's that is a big company. Okay, um, they're. They're not a small company, um, but they make more than half of that from just licensing out their digital, uh, their digital rights. So like that little phone game that's been being advertised a bunch lately, and just doing the shit on me, like. <laughs> um, but like that little phone game, they didn't they didn't actually put any R and D into it themselves. Some company came to them with a pitch that they they okayed because they do have a pretty they do have a pretty. Uh, hands-on sort of licensing process like uh, i've talked with like just cubicle seven folks uh emmett and, and elaine lithgow uh about just sort of the process of working with games workshop and they have to take their stuff to games workshop to get it like okayed and stuff so they do have a 
I don't know if it's the same for the digital market, but I know in terms of like whenever they license out their stuff, they they do have some, they do have a, a sort of pipeline and a, and a and a communication process that's uh, by all by all I've heard firsthand. Uh, pretty solid, and I, I trust it. I believe it. Again, five, they, you don't make five billion dollars by being an idiot and incompetent. Um, well, mm, no, <laughs> well, we yeah, pin in that. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, though. Um, <laughs> fucking pitching the Matrix today. I I finally saw what Meta was all about because Meta to me just you know you, you say Meta, you've got like sort of. Uh, meta text when we're talking about like analyzing texts and and film and and games and 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 uh, books and stuff, and uh, you got meta of games. And I saw meta. Why is meta in, trending in Twitter? Like well, whatever. Uh, I'm working too hard to like pay attention to that. Then the memes come, which is a hell of a way to learn something. Is memes first, right? <laughs> mm. Um, it's internet for you. Yeah, yeah, that's the internet. Um, no, uh. Just, just going back to the the digital thing. They make more than half their money off of off of licensing out their digital stuff. Um, man, I, I I tangented myself into oblivion this time. I the tangent. You've been doing that a couple times tonight. I I worked all the way up until six thirty today, so my brain yeah, didn't get that like cool off period. I know that feeling. So memes is how I learn ninety percent of things. It's fair. It's fair. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, Games Workshop. They're, um, I don't know. Uh, okay, yeah, I remembered it now. Boom, I got this one back. I, I lost the other one earlier. I got this one back. Um, it is reckless of them to not utilize a sort of a pipeline or a bridge from their digital products to their tabletop game. So they're making over half their money. The lo- the lion's share of the market playing their digital products are not their tabletop audience. Uh, there's some overlap. But I easily assert f- more than fifty percent of the people who play like Total Warhammer, Dawn of War, uh, Space Marine, maybe the people playing the mobile app. Like, okay, the mo- people playing the mobile app are probably v- a very specific type of forty k player. Um, <laughs> but, but other stuff, uh, I I bet like half the people don't pl- that play Total Warhammer don't necessarily play the tabletop game. One's the cost of entry to to play the tabletop. It's way easier to buy a $60 retail video game and then, like, vicariously enjoy the tabletop experience. It is reckless to not drive their audience from one thing that makes them tons of money to the other thing that makes them tons of money. So, early on, I said, like, in this always came up in the context of, of Tomb Kings, or often came up in the con- uh, the context of Tomb Kings, because someone who loves Vampire Coast coming over to AOS, they're not going to see Vampire Coast, but I could at least say... Yeah, but here's some vampires, and you can convert them to be pirates, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have like a bridge to get from from Vampire Coast to get to Warhammer Age of Sigmar, and that's all you need. Once you're like, it's not going to be a one to one, but you have a bridge that goes there. Um, for Tomb Kings, I I hear enough people saying they play Tomb Kings or Camry in. Total Warhammer, and then come and play Ossiarch Bone Reapers to think we can hang the mission accomplished banner. Even though I I posit that, and uh, Tomb King Tristan, a couple other players I uh, that are like the most hardcore t- TK guys I know, um, they say that like it's not this isn't Tomb Kings, and I kind of agree because without Setra, a lot of the identity is gone. 
Sure. You know, like, without Cetra, a lot of the identity, without the actual, like, the Tomb Kings, like, it, it feels like a lot of that identity is, like, gone. Even if, like, yeah, they had a, you know, a skull catapult, and you have a catapult, and you can kind of one-to-one some of the units, like, it still feels like it's 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 not quite. But I do think maybe in that, that digital pipeline sense, it is good enough. So, you know, if someone... I, I think it is severely... I think it is severely um, under understated how making a new mod, how difficult making a new model line is, and how much commitment needs to go into that. Um, getting people to buy into a new model line can be difficult, and I think that it's 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 tough for me to defend GW on this one. But I I can respect their their being gun shy on Tomb Kings because they tried before and they didn't do well. Um, would a second pass go? Would a second pass go better? I probably. I mean, there's there's been time to separate it, and um, people have sort of, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder and things like that. But um, I I can understand being gun shy because I'm not the one making those decisions. Right. Um, it's sort of easy to say, well, I I you know I would go out and buy them, and I know people who got to buy them, but it's if you're the one who has to pull the trigger on that and spend time and resources making those models for a new line, it's certainly a lot more difficult, especially now with how long, um, with how long, uh, uh, production is, especially Lead times. Now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Turn- yeah. The turnaround, the turnaround has been difficult and, you know, we don't even have all the new, uh, the new models out for the Stormcast yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an established army. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Hades, I will, I will agree with you that I prefer Catacross. Oh, I, I, I 100% agree. Uh, Osiric Bone Reapers are way sweeter than than uh, than Tomb Kings. Uh, Cetra is a punk ass. Uh, like, he wouldn't even be alive if not for Nagash accidentally bringing him life because he that's how awesome Nagash is. Nagash was such a badass that just the sheer turbulence of his presence brought back the Tomb Kings. Like... <laughs> Like, like, uh, I, I, uh, I empathize, sympathize, and respect my my Tomb King friends out there. Uh, but, uh, like, team, I've always been like team vampires, and 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 uh, I play vampire counts, not Tomb Kings, right? And in AOS, <laughs> I've always been, I, I play vampires, and I was always team Nagash, right? And when I got Osiarch Bone Reapers, it was like. There's like it felt like alchemy, like as as uh, as uh, taught to me through uh, Full Metal Alchemist and nothing else. Okay, um, that there was a law of equivalent trade, and I got Osiarch Bone Reapers in as awesome and sweet a sense as I did because I had to sacrifice a bunch of my friends. Like it feels bad, but also like. Awesome. The tithe has come. Uh, will you Ooh. pay? <laughs> oh, what will you say? We stared at the hornet. That's really funny. Uh, you can call me uh, Reman uh, or uh, uh, Miram. Uh, thank you for the three dollar tip. Yo, chilling in Haywo Discord when I heard you say Cities of Sigmar sucks as a concept. So I came here as fast as I could to say, "Fuck you, Cities is dope." <laughs> Shit, get owned. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> That's that's fair. You paid three dollars to to own me. Uh, you win. You've you've won. I have officially my opinion has been bought. Uh, cities cities are dope. 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> I will change my opinion for a very low dollar amount. Yeah, no, I can be bought. <laughs> mm. Call me Rem. Yeah, Rem. Sorry about that. Uh, Catacross is awesome, though. Catacross is one of those things where one of my favorite characters... Well, two of my... My, my three favorite uh, Warhammer characters going all the way back... I started playing in 4th edition, I think we pinned it down to. It was Army, Army Book Undead. Nagash was still playable. You had the little cards you tore out the back for your magical items and everything. Like, you had, like, a spell cards and crap. Like, old school, right? Going all the way back, Vlad and Isabella... You know, like, kind of the goats. Um, Nagash, and then a little bit later on, Aberash. There's that part of me that when the rumors that a new death army was coming were substantial with with Nighthaunt, and they started talking about, like, the Mortark of of of, of grief, uh, like, being a bride. I'm like, oh, shit. I hope that's Isabella. Like, just that part of me that's just like, oh, that'd be so sweet. Because I think... Of all the characters from the old world, as far as death goes, Isabella has the most compelling story that you can bring her into the world and tell anew. Mm -hmm. Vlad's story is done. I don't want Vlad back. Don't ruin perfection by bringing Vlad back. He told the story, sacrificed himself for the love. In the end, he even kind of, like, started, like, had a hero moment by helping out the Empire and everything. Like, you know, he just despised. This was, like, this is, like... Don't bring him back. He keep him dead. He gives his ring, ultimate self sacrifice. Gives the ring up to Isabella, and Isabella, you know, cured to the Nurgle rot, goes off through the portal. We don't, we don't, we don't see her again. Isabella can come back, and she was always a little bit of like a, unfortunately, like a damsel archetype, just from antiquated writing styles, right? And uh, but like now, like one Warhammer needs more waifus. Uh, I am team the more waifus the better when it comes to Warhammer, because. Uh, not not just like one it's it's a way to like get more representation but also like you know sell the representation to <laughs> a different demographic it's waifus not representation see look at that i've tricked people into being more progressive um so uh like isabella coming back one more waifus is better for the game and two <laughs> orc waifus went i don't know orc waifus went yeah exactly um <laughs> it, you bring you bring in isabella isabella's got like a whole revenge plot story arc where she can have tons of agency trying to like just fuck up Nurgle and then she has a good paradigm with Ilarial because Nagashus like Mortarks are essentially a dark reflection of the old pantheon he has sort of these like one-to-one representations oh like he's sort of making his own death god versions of the former pantheon and Isabella in like versus Nurgle with Ilarial on the other side you get that like that that wonderful, wonderful sort of like, like just churning engine of like conflict. Like, so I say all that to say this: if they had brought back any of the old characters, I wouldn't have Olander right now. And Olander's fucking amazing. Every story she shows up and she kicks ass so hard, it's amazing. Like, yeah, give her some more wounds on the table, sure, but like. But, like, narratively speaking, she's kicking ass. She's, like, slapping shit. She holds the shoulder buttons down at all times. Like, uh, zero quit. And same thing happened with Catacros. Like, I kind of wanted Aberash to come back. Not so much Vlad. Aberash come back. Uh, you know, was thinking we might we were getting vampires a little sooner than... And then we got Osiric Bone Reapers freaking out of nowhere. 
I, I couldn't even fathom who the Mortark was of that when they started advertising it. And Catacross has gone on to be my... It's, he, he has supplanted, like, my other favorite characters. Like, that's how cool Catacross is. So we, we get locked in these, like, sort of nostalgia traps of wanting our old stuff back. And when that happens, we don't... We, we cut ourselves off to new possibilities. So, I don't know. I think that's a... Go ahead. I, I agree. The sort of... It's it, it's an interesting thought I had the other day about um a, a, f- a friend of mine who had was kind of a holdout for Age of Sigmar for a while. He played fantasy and then kind of took a while to get over the, the hump and finally, you know, came back with third edition um and started playing Age of Sigmar. Um, you know, we talked about... I was talking about some of the cool lore bits of Age of Sigmar that I really like. And um, it's, uh, you know, during the... Um, during the discussion, you know, he lamented, he's like, I still wish they didn't blow up the old world. And I'm sitting there thinking, I sort of had this weird epiphany where I'm like, well, okay, yeah, they blew it up, but it's a fantasy world. Uh, nothing changed. <laughs> um, which is, like, all it is is a a corporation has now told you that this world, this fictional world that never actually existed has now blown up and is now gone. Mm-hmm. Um and in that respect, what has actually changed? Um, and it made me sort of examine those ideas about, like, well, you know, the the old world was stagnating for a while. It really was running on a treadmill because you can't kill anybody. You need to be able to keep them to be playable on the table. So it ser- turned into that problem with serials where nothing really happens, events happen, and they're quickly retconned to avoid any major changes. Yeah. Um, so we were stuck in a stasis for a really long time um, and something had to change. Uh, you can quibble about exactly how they did it. Certainly there's, there's uh there's no, there's no way. Um, there, there's, there's certainly ways that it could have been done better, but um, I'm thinking about how, you know, um, if it was, running on that treadmill was sort of in stagnation for a while. Um, a lot of the later plots people didn't really care about. Um, then now they're being told that, you know, this world is now gone. This world that technically didn't exist in the first place. It's a fictional universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's that attachment coming from? Because I'm not trying to um, negate those feelings because those feelings of attachment are, are very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people are attached to this sort of, archetype of the character that they've made in their head um you know a lot of the later plot lines were not very popular um they didn't and they didn't want them to they and they didn't want the characters to change they wanted the characters to continue to maintain this idealized conception conception that they had built of them um and um i mean i just i don't know what the answer is and i think that's that's where i find a lot of the hype from the old world is coming from as well because people are like oh old world's coming back it's like well technically it never left you could have just kept playing old world yeah if you wanted to go back and play your favorite edition with a friend or something like that there's literally nothing stopping you yeah um rpgs are exactly not... like this like i run riffs as it was in 1996 and i sure. it, nothing stops me from doing that with my friend it's a little bit different when there's a competitive scene but 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 you're, you're not wrong you know, like it's yeah. you, you. There's the world still exists. I mean, fuck, man. The world blowing up is literally Forgotten Realms' backstory. 
the world blew up. The sundering happened. Like this, you're you're like it's. I don't know. It's weird. the The part that's, I guess, from a writing stance, that sort of like sucks. The real problem for me is writing characters that never change or advance. Like yeah. that sucks to always have to reset stuff to equilibrium. For a while there, I thought comic book writing would be like the absolute best thing ever. But like, but I've been thinking about right now, like I, I, I picked up Sandman and I've been reading back through that again for like my third time now. And, uh, and I'm like, Sandman gets to end and like be complete. But if you, if I, if I really did get hired on to write Wolverine, you know, like I'd have like a run and people would be like, oh yeah, the, the Mephisto run of Wolverine is pretty dope, but I wouldn't actually contribute any character growth to that character. So would I, as an author, truly feel fulfilled that I didn't have like some sort of like con- conflict and resolution and character growth? The whole point of like compelling stories is that there is a character arc that that happens, and then they the the characters either worse or better than they started in some manner, right? Depends on if you're writing yeah. a comedy or a tragedy, right? Like, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's like the, I think that was kind of where I was going about that. It's like. You know, people want to see new stories. They want to see these characters grow and change, but they never want to see it end. It's the the end that's tough. Um, and there are certainly characters that, you know, I've grown attached to that, you know, seeing the end of their story is tough. Um, oh, it, 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 but it's a, necess- it it's a necessary thing. It um, yeah. I, may, I may be putting up some of my own, um, some of my own biases on that, like, People talk about what they love about the old world. I find that a lot of that is um, my my personal stance. And it's, if anybody disagrees, this does not make you wrong. But um, my personal stance is I found um, the old world to be boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it adopts a lot of fantasy tropes that aren't actually all that unique or original. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it just had a lot of cultural cachet because of how old it is. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's it's one of the most it's one of the oldest. It's a weird weird contradiction there, but oldest modern fantasy settings, as in you know, post Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, so it was around for a long time. It had time to build up this fan base, and then that fan base would spread the word to others and say, you know, this setting's really great, and brought in other people. Um, so, but I don't think the world itself was actually that interesting. Um, the role playing game introduced a lot of some interesting ideas. Um, but a lot of that stuff wasn't actually in the war game. The war game itself, I found, was pretty boring. Uh, and I enjoyed the shakeup, personally. Um, yeah, you know, uh, sorry, um, Microphone just said in chat, you know, it's it's a lot of, like, this is not this is not Germany, this is not yeah. Arabia, this is not China. And, like, especially, too, it was especially, you, you can sort of forgive it to a degree because of its age, but, like, not China is called Cathay. It's uh, completely... Uh, sort of vapid in that in that sense, um, and even then, some of the more interesting places never get explored. They're like mentioned one time, and then they never actually went there. Um, but um, what all that is to say is that you know it it's it's okay if you still liked it. There there are there are such things as pleasures, and you may disagree. You may think it's a lot deeper than I'm giving it credit for. That's fine. Um, but I think that ultimately, the radical change that they went for was beneficial for everybody because um i i like the radical change that age of sigmar did did for the setting it's such a unique setting yeah we're in planescape it's very different from from other um fantasy settings 
and um uh also like because it's technically a brand new world there's been so much more room for growth yes. than there has been in fantasy which was stuck in itself uh and you know people didn't want them to change it either you know it, it's a, it, like i said going back to it, it's a very weird thing people want new stories but they don't want anything to change they want these characters to remain the ones that they've always been and you know that's that's a problem that plagues many uh expanded universe settings um yeah. but uh i thought that you know the shakeup that they did it was a tough call, but I think uh, history has sort of vindicated GW in their decision. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. No, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with anything in particular. I, it, just a, uh, uh, a, a agree and and and, and to elaborate. Um, it, the world always. I was an old world player. Like I, I started in 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 Warhammer Fantasy Battle in fourth edition. I played all the way until I went off to college. I started in seventh grade. And all the way until I went off to college. Okay, like I, so I I played a while. Uh, a lot of it was spent playing my other friends' models and always collecting. And about the time I finally got a va- uh, got an undead army together, vampire counts came out, and like half my crap was just gone because they took it and they were about to release it in Tomb Kings later. And then like, you know, so I like, but I went and then I went off to college and everyone played 40k. So um, I I became a 40k player because this was what everyone was playing. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I I like 40k. Or I sorry, I like. I liked Warhammer, but that's still my read of it, too. Like, that was... Like, I liked... I thought of it as a little bit of, like, a Twilight Zone version of Lord of the Rings. And so, I like, I was able to enjoy it in this, like, sort of, like, you know, in a way. I Like, I really did kind of like it. And I, I do like it. I have fond memories. But I know that my memories are stronger than the setting, if that makes sense. You know, it's just like with Rifts. I know that my, like, nostalgia of Rifts is better than the rules. Like, the rules are garbage. I know I'm here for the nostalgia and and the setting. The setting in Rifts is fucking radical. But, um, like, the, the, I do think had I been playing Warhammer Fantasy Battles still, when they blew up the world, I'd have had all kinds of feelings, though. Like, if I were actively playing this game and then they said, boom, that's a different feeling. Like, I get... I get teary-eyed remembering when City of Villains servers went down and being on them as they came down. You know, like, I... But here's the thing is, I can't go back and play City City of Villains at all. It's just gone. Like, but I can still go back and play the old world. You know, like, I can still go back and play Warhammer Fantasy Battle if I truly, you know, feel like it. So, like, it's... it's, I really do... I really do kind of get where the player's... Are coming from that that missed the the old thing, and but I think you're right. You're really right that like Games Workshop's kind of vindicated with with Age of Sigmar. They did something that is that is Games Workshop. One of the things that bothers me a lot is when Stormcast Eternals are referred to as like you know Sigmarines or they're just 40k Space Marines in AOS, and like you can generalize anything out to make it technically true, right? In the same sense that I would say, like, they're the Ryu of the world, like, because of genuine main character senpai. Like, I've you can you can do that. You can draw parallels between a lot of stuff. You can make a lot of... Dichot- but the thing is, is, like, they're kind of like, I don't know, the immortal lightning bolt, like, soldiers, you know, that kind of lose a little bit of themselves each time they get resurrected. Where's that conceit in... in... in a... 
literal space marine. Like, the actual what a space marine is. Genetic super soldier. Like, they're not losing their souls gradually. Like, yeah, they can become Terminators and shit and lose all their memories, but... Or not Terminators, uh, Dreadnoughts and shit and become Terminators and stuff, but, like... They don't really, like... There's not this, like, plot about them losing their literal goddamn soul. And, you know, like, the thing that makes them human. It's... it's And the whole setting and how... And how... I understand... It's 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 a bold claim to say Space Marines aren't as, as integral to their setting. Or as indicative of their setting as, you know, as... Uh, as Stormcast Eternals are. So I won't say it. But narratively speaking, what Stormcast do in their setting is far more compelling than just fucking Space Marines. I'm sorry. Like I'll, I'll. You can add me. You could. You could. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm happy to lose these subscribers right now. Um, 40k is an awesome setting. Like just in terms of like just awe. The actual old school definition of awesome before it got like overused and and lost its like weight. It is awesome. Like emphasis on the awe. Like the the scope of it. You know, big and, and the hive worlds, and there's just, it, there's a lot going on there, and it's pretty awesome. But, like, it's also sort of like suffering from boxing itself in, mm. in the way that Old World was, that, that Warhammer Fantasy Battle was. Like, they got to this point where it was like Three Stooges trying to get through the doorway gag with how fucked the universe was. The universe is so fucked that the only thing stopping the water, the universe from being turbo fucked is like all the baddies are fighting each other too. <laughs> like Yeah. That's it's always five seconds from midnight. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't know, it's just in it, it it I understand people like liking that, like being locked in that and that's what they, they want to experience. But let's be honest, most people just like like the the combat porn. Like they just the chainsaws the gun goes dicka dicka dicka. Like they're they're that they're just obsessed with that shit. The aesthetics of it all. And if you're obsessed with the, the aesthetics of a setting, I don't think it like I don't think it's as meaty as if the concepts of the setting are great. Which is why I like AOS so much, because conceptually speaking, you have a world that is trying to that is trying to reemerge from the darkness. And the mm -hmm. ultimate sort of irony of it all is to win, to defeat all that is bad and ruinous. You have to, like, lose your soul. Fighting for what's right and good takes a chunk away from you every time. And that's a really compelling story. A tragic one, but really compelling. What's the, what's the 40k... Like, what is the great soul-searching story 40K tells you? Fascism, yeah, I, fascism is bad, actually? Okay. And, and I, I, I've talked about this before. I, no, I've talked about this before. I've had, my, I've had issues with how GW does things now. Like, you know, it's, it, you know what? Unintentionally, we're circling right back around to the very beginning when you were talking about, uh, you know, art. And I don't think that art inspires you to do certain things. It just... It can cause, it can inspire certain it, proclivities you might already have. It reinforces, um, yeah. I think it reinforces yeah. some stuff, yeah. It can reinforce certain proclivities, but it doesn't inspire anything. Um, you know, I've had the same discussion with 40K. Um, 
you know, initially, initially the, you know, it was supposed to be a satire of fascism. Um, and it was very, like, it was very, really laid it on thick. So you knew that. Um, and I think over time, it's sort of strayed away from that. In the 90s, it moved from towards just like, there was less of the political commentary it was there but there was less of it and it was more just about the grim darkness of everything um and because that was the 90s everything had to be grim dark um yep and then sort of i feel like as well, it's the, the, the anti-hero era it was the anti the 90s is the anti-anti-hero yeah. era yeah yeah uh, so, by so, all so, measures know. yeah go on yeah, yeah yeah so you know going going on about how shitty everything was that that was the 90s in a nutshell so, fucking gen x um <laughs> yeah and then after and after the 2000s though um it sort of changed it's like you can't you can't take a blatant satire like what launch 40k was uh and make it into a long-term franchise it just doesn't have the longevity that it's supposed to and yet it seems like the franchise has now outlived what any what any of the creators thought it would um and now there's sort of a there's there's now like a, an almost an attempt to frame Space Marines as with a certain heroicism. Um, they're not entirely good guys, mm-hmm. but they are the the point of view character. And sometimes you'll get a book that tries to come in and add a little nuance to it, but it really feels like you're meant to sympathize with them as the main characters yeah. of the setting. But they keep all the fascist trappings. They keep the you know yeah. they keep the eagles they keep the eagles and uh you know they the imperial guard has its you know it's the iron you know, cross course, like Earth. yeah yeah the iron cross and like especially with like the new black Tem- black templar stuff that came out where you're just very unfortunate because you're literally like plastering hate symbols up uh and say- and making it a marketing thing um I don't think that that's a moral failing exactly. Like I said, I don't think that it's going to inspire it anybody lives, to go out. And, it lives in and... such a world of hyperbole. I don't know that yeah. it can, you know. But it yeah, certainly go, go on. Like, like I, I'm not one of those. I uh, I don't know if you anyone knows in chat gang, but I'm a dirty lefty. I I try to be a reasonable leftist, and like I don't want to make my content unapproachable to anyone who's like conservative and stuff like that. Um, so I'm not one of those like lefties who's like this is fascist and therefore like, I don't have that surface level reading of, of that. I don't think 40 K is meant to be read on that level, but they're stuck in it. You know, like that's yeah. where no, they, that, and that's what I'm saying. I don't think there's, there's any attempt to, you know, profit from fascism where, and I don't even think it's going to make people who aren't fascists. Yeah. You're, you're suddenly a fascist. You're like, Oh man, suddenly, I love- suddenly, suddenly pick up mind conf and be like, Hey, this guy has a couple good ideas. Um, <laughs> No, uh, I don't. I don't think any of that. But it is, it's tonally weird to yes. have a setting that that was so overtly laying it on thick that it was trying to make fun of fascism and laid it on thick because it wanted you to know where it stood. Yeah. And now sort of has this. Yeah, murky, the Mel Brooks, like, the Mel Brooks style, like uh, you know, uh, springtime, uh, springtime, uh, 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 for Hitler. Like, you have to lay the hyperbole on so thick and so hard so that nobody can misunderstand the message. But as time has taught me these last five years, you can never be so heavy-handed with your metaphor that somebody won't miss it. Like, the Squid Games right now, like, there's people saying, oh, this is a show about capitalism good, actually. I'm like, what the 
fuck? How did you get that read from it? Or the people who watch American History X and think it's about, like, a badass who was a badass Nazi, and then when he wasn't a Nazi, then it got bad for everybody? I'm like, what? But... It's about... It's about uh, it's about uh, North Korea, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, sorry, go on, go on. No, no, and that's really the point I was coming in. I was just like, it's, it's this very weird. Like, I think, I think in GW's head, they're trying to be apolitical. Um, yes, they don't. That as as a mass market product, they don't want to have an overt political message. Uh, that's and fair. that's fine. And that's and that's fair. Um. But again, you're still carrying around all these fascist trappings and being like, no, this isn't political at all. Please just, yeah. just kind of ignore that. It's it's totally very weird. And I don't think it makes you a bad person for enjoying the game at all. Enjoy the game. Have fun. I just think it's a little weird. It, I, I mean, even even taking out the, the sort of fascist element like uh, from it, and I, I don't think you, you can, but for a moment, hypothetically, like like extricating the fascism from it, they've they've stagnated that world, too, though. Like they're they're running into the same problems. Like this thing has well outlived its its shelf life in terms of the story confines and where they could take fascism bad actually. Like how far could they take fascism bad actually in a, a in that setting and keep selling you a product? The thing is, is uh, I, there's there's a really great video about how like saying Nazis like are bad is an apolitical statement because it's it's such a it, it is such a accepted for true statement that it's not political but like and and so by that same token that saying nazis are good actually is also apolitical because no one is taken seriously when they say nazis good um now there's some caveats to that we'll we'll circle back to that but like having a a a female space marine becomes a political statement because, like, it, it is grounded, it is more real than the hyperbole of Nazism that exists in most people's sort of, like, minds. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually had talked about that, I remember, a couple months ago, talking about the... I, I did a shorter essay on female space marines, and having a couple months in between, I've a couple of years, maybe, I think it might've been two years ago at this point. I, you know, I had some times to rethink some of my thoughts on it, but uh, I, I think the general gist is still there about the, um, uh, I said about, you know, I, I'm not sure I am gunning for female space Marines. Um, mostly because, um, it, again, it's, it's a very weird sort of thing. It's a very weird sort of thing to me to have the, um, to have the space fascists do it. Um, you know, if they were to do it, I think that'd be great because there's tons of people who want that. And I think that that should be an option. I mean, um, but it's, I think, it, I think, I think less, it had m less to do about the idea of female space Marines and more about the not being sure where, where game shop games workshop even stands at this point about their whole, you know, fascism parody anymore. Um, you I know, are, are they supposed to be, or are they not? Oh, and that's the thing is, well, we we live in. Uh, um, there's a couple really solid videos on on this, and it's something that I like picked up on. Like, I think everyone sensed this. Remember the, the 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 onion headline, not the onion headline, right? Like that that gag went around for a little bit. Like, not sure if onion headline, right? We yeah. we ended up and we've started calling this the death of the the death of satire. Like, we live in a post satire era now, where like satire. Um, 
is just it, it just is again you can never be so overt with your messaging and your your metaphor you can never be hyperbolic enough that somebody won't miss it there will always be people who don't and that's because i do think largely most people have like a very surface level engagement with any text any and uh what is a text everything's a text uh, that's that's my uh english literature uh, major education that i'm thirty thousand dollars in debt still fifty thousand dollars in debt still uh taught me is that everything's a text uh so there you go everyone i just saved you fifty thousand dollars um <laughs> fuck uh, oh the black pill coming out early tonight um the uh no the uh the um we live kind of in a post satire era but i that beside that i truly do not believe most people read into things that much i think it's more likely people read into it what they already believe pretty consistently and i think this has been backed up a lot by like like the colbert report if you're a conservative you watch stephen colbert on the colbert report and you think that he's a conservative dunking on liberals if you watch it as a liberal or a leftist you see a you see a leftist making fun of like bill o'reilly and conservative media and like people read into thing art usually what they want to and so like because they're not taught to like account for your bias and uh consider death of the author versus authorial intent do you want to do a feminist reading of this do you want to do a uh, a critical race theory reading of it by the way like that's it, it doesn't just mean you say that you know the kkk exists that's not critical race theory guys it's it's collegiate level analysis um you know do you want to do like some sort of like other there's so many different ways to like analyze a text there's a bunch of different schools of thought you can come approach something from right um but usually people aren't trying to do that. They just look at the thing and Chainsword goes and they're, they're not reading into anything. When you point out that something's like a hate symbol, especially like the le the less prominent ones, you know, like the swastika, like the blood cross was circulating around in our community for a little bit there. I'm like, does dude know he's using a blood cross right now? Like the most prominent KKK symbol? He's from Australia, so I have to assume no. But like, <laughs> you got to ask the question now, don't you? Like it, it yeah, fair. to to live in this world where you're like not sure if hates not sure if likes it cause hate and not sure if likes it cause thinks it looks dope. Like that's a weird. It's we just live in that world right now. I don't have any answers, arguments, any. I'm not making anything, anything. I'm just I feel like we live in that world right now, and that's just that that's just kind of weird. But when you have a story that stagnates the way that 40k kind of has, it's like the fuck do you do with this? The satire's yeah, the satire's irrelevant at this point. So yeah, I think that that ultimately is the point I was getting at. The story the story had stagnated, but but you know, culture had changed around it, and so you know it's it's in such a weird place now, and it um its inability to actually change anything from a sub substance point of view has been such a limiting factor. Something that Age of Sigmar hasn't quite gotten through. Um. Uh, you can call me uh, Rem. So Rem, I'm just going to shorthand it from now on. Rem, uh, do you think the Iron Cross and Black Templar iconography should not be allowed to call back to like legit Templars and Crusaders uh, who used those icons and symbols before Nazi Germany? All right. So I have I have two in completely separate and distinct points okay like they're not it's not like a one-two punch of like trying to answer this question it's two entirely separate thoughts um 
I don't give a fuck about people's reality in fantasy. Um, like, the, the, the fucking Thermian argument means nothing to me. Basing your, ooh, it's so realistic based on the real life, real life. Oh, your real life realistic depictions of fucking dragons and your real life realistic depictions of like 10 foot tall super soldiers 40,000 years in the fucking future. Like the realistic depictions of all that. We get the fuck out of here with shit like that. On the flip side, uh, I, I, I kind of, I'm not a victim of those hate symbols, so I'm not the right guy to ask. For one, okay? Like, I don't walk in and see an iron cross and immediately remember my grandma sobbing about being tortured by fucking Nazis, okay? But, like, yeah, it's probably a, probably a bad look, you know, to, like, have a bunch of just hate symbols that are, like, a current zeitgeist trauma for a bunch of people across the entire fucking world. I don't know. That that's probably a bad look as the kids say on on Twitter. So that's that's like it's like totally separate point 1. And point 2 is again, I don't think anyone is reading this game on that on that level. Like I it, I don't think anyone is engaging with the text on a critical level like that. They see big stupid soldiers with symbols that mean nothing to them unless they've been traumatized for them. Uh and then a third bonus point um can you take a swastika back to a Tibetan temple now in our culture? Maybe in a thousand years you can. But currently, can you be like, oh no, it's just a Tibetan good luck charm. Can you do that? I don't think you can just take back your, your Templar hate symbol to a, to a, the realistic time before that. And the Crusades, by the way, weren't... Uh, turns out those weren't like super righteous either, yo. Like the, the Templars might have also been a hate group, you know... Uh, could it could have been like a like a different type of hate group. So it's just like it's been a hate symbol twice now, historically speaking. So like again, I want to give a lot of credence to uh I want to give a lot of I want to give a lot of good faith to people who play 40k because I simply don't think people play it on that level. Yeah, you got to Yeah, that's a very cynical way of putting it, Hades. Like like oof, oof. Oof. Or at least, I don't know, like their grandchildren? We'll revisit it in a hundred years, okay? In another hundred years, we'll talk about it. Like, see how, let's, how's, how's the, uh, how's, how's, uh, how's a certain pejorative uh, against black people going right now, taking it back? How's that going? Oh, not good. Might be more than a hundred years. I don't know. Like, might be more than 400 years. Could be, let's, how about we revisit in a thousand years? But right now, uh, when literal Nazis have marched on my fucking capital, um, yeah, you're not, you're not, you don't get to take it back yet. It's, it doesn't get to go back to its other historically pure version yet. Uh, but that's just my opinion as a white guy who wasn't a victim of, of the symbols and stuff like that. I've got like, I was a, a victim of like race. Well, my brother was the victim of, of, of racial violence. I was there and got victimized too. Which is, a, I think, a very important distinction when white guilt crops up and stuff like that for people, where they're like, I've been the victim of hate too. And it's like, I'm sorry, white boy. I know you want to, like, really be less... I know you really want to be less generic. Like, trust me, I get it, dude. But, um, I get to walk across the street and not get beat up that same day, you know? 
my brother doesn't get that option. The hate would have walked across the street to beat him up. Super important distinction. Um, but like I said, like my opinion's worth something, but it's not worth as much as the people who were the victims of all those hate symbols and stuff. So see them, please. Defer to them. Alice, <laughs> that was a pretty loaded question. <laughs> when it, I saw you were you were talking in chat too, but did you want to add anything? Uh, uh, it, if you disagree with me or whatever, like feel free to. Um, I like to tell people what I think, not what they should think. Um, so I one thing I did want to catch. Uh, did, I just want to make sure I misunderstood you. You talked about swastikas in the Tibetan temple. Were you talking about like taking a symbol away from there or bringing it? to the temple oh trying to make it not a hate symbol anymore oh because it isn't if you go like when i was in indonesia and it was a jarring thing you go to a buddhist or a hindu temple and they will have them um granted it is the original not the the flipped version that was used in uh nazi germany but um i think that that's an important uh cultural context thing to understand right. because in in Southeast Asia, there isn't the same cultural context. It doesn't have Nazi Germany doesn't have the same cultural cachet as it does. They certainly have their own stripe of fascists or nationalists, but it's a it's a very different inspiration than Western Europe. Um, uh, context is so I think that Con context is everything. Continue, continue. Sure. Sorry. So I think that I think that's that's an important thing to do. It depends on where you are. It's it doesn't mean that you know you can suddenly do that here. That's certainly a different problem. Um, and as for actually using the symbols, I, I, I want to stress that despite the, you know, it's, it's, a, it feels like when I say it, it's a very much a just asking questions thing. Um, when I say about, you know, doing the, um, you know, having the iron cross and things like that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Jewish. It's, um, it's, and practicing, but it's a, it is, it is a sort of weird thing to have just an iron cross uh, splayed out. But um, at the same time, like, I don't feel those same sorts of concerns, um, you know, that you express, but it's, it's my, it's my thing too. It's not a monolith. Um, and when I say that, you know, it's weird to me to just market hate symbols, it sounds like I'm saying, you know, we shouldn't allow this, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it should be banned. Um, and I'm not saying that. I think that, um, you know, it's it's ultimately up to the individual. I do think it's a little weird. Um, and I don't think that GW thought too hard about it. Um, but I do think there also is also a point of like, you know, at what point is ignorance no longer an excuse um, as well? I don't right. think it's going to cause any overt harm. Again, that goes back to what I said about like, I don't think it's going to create a new generation of Nazis at best. My concern is that, you know, it, it lets, it Nazis lets Nazis <laughs> Sorry. go into a game store and feel a little more comfortable about going under the radar. Yeah. Uh, that's a problem. But I've always felt that, you know, people like that, they always expose themselves one way or another. They can't keep their goddamn mouth shut. Sure. Um, but, um, but ultimately, I don't think it's bad. Um, it's... It, well, it's not the worst thing. It's it's not great, but it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't think it's a injustice, and I and I think that you know it's it's better to let art express itself and fall flat on its face than to censor anything. Yes. So I would never advocate censor anything. Yes. Um, and also, Hades brought up a great point. What does the emperor have to do with crosses? <laughs> That's true. What what does that have to be? And obviously, you know, uh, you know, Christian. Uh, 
Christian authoritarianism was also a big theme of 40k, and that's sort of why it wriggled itself in. But now in the new, less biting commentary 40k, what point does it serve? Right. And that's that is that is a pretty that is a pretty good point to make. Yeah, yeah. I I, I want to really kind of stress, uh, like I don't like, I don't like censoring art. Like, just you know, if if this is an artistic expression, I don't. I truly don't think GW like thought that hard about or thinks that hard about it now. They thought they were doing some like satire shit back in the you know like early '90s and '80s. I think '85 is around the time that the some of the first stuff started coming out, right? Like they thought they were doing a satire back then, and but then it just came, kind of became part of like the like the CAD files that they just have around for their shit, and they're like, oh, we'll throw this on the design, and you know, like it. I don't know that there's. I don't think there's any malice of forethought, honestly, when it comes to like the symbols GW puts in their art currently. But then, if there's not any malice of forethought, there's not any forethought. Like, does it really matter that much? Too, I, I don't know. Um. Don't go out thinking everybody who plays Space Marines is a Nazi or Black Templars is a Nazi. I don't think that's that's not the take. Not. Um, I think it's the opposite, and I think that you do a lot more harm to people who have progressive causes by by being this constantly reacting to reactionaries. You know, like uh, we need to concern ourselves a lot more with the actions and sort of like the intent behind the actions and the intent behind the things people do than like just these like sort of surface level things right um you know like, like we gotta we gotta give just enough rope for them to hang themselves with it in other words like because a good person who's not a nazi won't like go on random ass nazi talking points and like start talking about lizard men at running the world and then like they're they're suddenly talking about it like the elites the elites and then like you just keep talking to them and eventually they just say the jews and you're like oh you are a nazi okay like they really do always out themselves uh yeah, certainly like it, it's the, the people like haters gonna hate they can't not like it's it's a funny little meme phrase but haters hate they will they just they it's what makes their brains have cancer of hate in them and it forces them to be stupid and act stupid and eventually they'll just say and do stupid shit and you're like yep gotcha like i know now and then you and then you shine the light on them like the cockroaches they are so that they scatter or step on them if you're in a position to step on them because um, fuck nazis like seriously and uh i don't know uh i don't know what purpose it serves for games workshop to keep printing hate symbols but i'm not going to read deeper into um, it because i don't i mean because black templars have been one of their top selling factions that's pretty much what it comes down to um i think i think a lot of it has more to do with you know being a a, a cool color scheme and um lore that well, they're like the demon hunters to. right like they're like the super awesome demon hunters like yeah 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 no i and I, I can totally see the appeal ultimately I, I do see the appeal and if that's what you think is cool then you know Oh, sisters, you know, go sisters, with God, but Sisters of Battle uh, rocks some. They've got some iron crosses and stuff, and like they're dope as hell. Um, like because they have the Inquisitorial eye or whatever, and it's just like a, essentially an iron cross with like a skull in the front of it, isn't it? So like mm -hmm. they've they've got some hate symbols on there too. Um, <laughs> Black Templars are the least chill, but you could also like that's the thing is like there's I have an iron a very deeply ironic sense of humor, um, like. I have a ironic sense of humor, and furthermore, it is a bad sense of humor. Okay, like I'm not, I'm not a good humorist. I am, 
I'm horrible. I made that punt earlier. Uh, I didn't even get a groan, so I had to keep explaining it because explaining jokes is funny to me. Like, my humor serves me, and it's only to make me go like, <laughs> like a little bit every now and then. Okay. Um, like, I have a deeply ironic sense of humor. There are things out there, the so bad it's good, and this is changing gears a little bit. Like, I can see somebody out there who who's like, Black Templars are so over the top. Nagash, he's Skeletor. Like, he's so over the top evil that it's hilarious to me. Right? Like, it's just, it's fucking hilarious. Like, I love it. I relish it. I can see a type of person who's like, oh, good. Like, they're, they're, they're the opposite of what you expect. Loving Black Templar because they love, they actually love the irony of it. Right? Mm-hmm. This, like, I, I get that. Like, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it, it, so, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and I, I, as a rule, I don't like, as a rule, I don't like, um, I don't like censorship, and this this ties into like the horror thing again, right? Like, we had horror movies that that on one side we had like the super cynical, schlocky violence against women, but then that like weird dichotomy of like a bunch of sort of progressive uh, women who went on to like have made like Sigourney Weaver, like kind of a feminist icon at this point, right? Like, there you had these because there was the opportunity to be representative of. Of, uh, of the woman demographic that wasn't there in mainstream Hollywood. You had the subculture, it, like, avenues in, and then subculture becomes culture, right? Like, subculture and counterculture becomes culture uh, because uh, history is on the side of progress. I'm sorry. Uh, we're right. You're wrong, everybody else. Um, no, I, I don't know. It's But there's growing pains with it all, and nobody's, like, totally in the right, and all your heroes are, are actually one kind of a son of a bitch or another, so... You know, hmm. congratulations. <laughs> like Noam Chomsky lately. And I'm just like, no, Noam, shut up. Stop answering emails, Noam. <laughs> just die already. Um, sorry. Um, I think the inquisitorial eye is different from an actual cross. Doesn't exist elsewhere. All right, that's fair. Maybe I'm just misremembering the symbol. I could be misremembering. I I don't play 40k. Full disclosure. Um, I just see the Iron Cross, which was used before the 30s, as much of the Germanic tribal symbolism. Yeah. I should leave no. Nomchowski alone. He's like 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, he's 100 years old. That's the thing. Is like like what did you think they thought at the time? You know, like what the the counterculture and trying to like push the envelope and progress the system. I don't know. Stay open is my advice to everybody about everything is just, you know, you know, stay curious and stay open, you know, how live, live with that healthy dose of Cartesian doubt. Everything, you know, might be wrong. You know, right. That's the, that's the best we can do. Be compassionate, you know, try to, try to empathize with others. Um, you know, have some compassion, have some empathy for your enemies, but you know, don't, do that at the expense of the people that are actually like victimized or abused. And, you know, um, I, 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 two years ago, kind of going into 2020, I had this like huge, just weird revelation. Cause I was holding on to like a lot of anger from my, from my youth and stuff like that. And I'm kind of a vindictive, spiteful guy and I have a big mouth and I won't shut up. Um, and, uh, I got into this like art uh, run the jewels kick and I kept there's always doing is listening to run the jewels for a period of time. 
And um, there's a song, I think it's Thursday Night in the Danger Room by Run the Jewels, where, like, Killer Mike recounts, like, his friend getting killed, basically being robbed at gunpoint and, like, having it just for, like, his necklace. and Or, like, essentially, like, forcing his daughter to and forcing the the mom to become like a single a single parent and and like the daughter to not have a dad and then like that ended up in the mom like losing custody of the kid and like the all the stuff and like he recounts this like regales this just like story of this utter tragedy and then he he says like he says no here no killer was captured so i know he listening i'd like to tell you in song like I hope that you've changed. I hope that you've grown. I hope that you righted your wrongs. And then, like, he goes on to, like, and I'm just like, how the fuck can this dude who's gone through way worse than me, as, like, a pusher, a runner, and stuff like that, like, uh, like have this m- much capacity for compassion for somebody that, like, killed his best friend? And I can't get over some shitty comments on the internet. Like... And it just, so, like, I tried to, for the last two years, I've basically been trying to just be better to, like, everyone in general, not just the people who agree with me, and trying to, like, take people that I disagree with in good faith, and trying to, like, not assume everyone I fucking talk to that disagrees with me is a Nazi, right? Like, I'm just trying to do that. And, like, I don't, I haven't found the line where I'm doing it good or where I'm letting people take advantage of my sort of like weakened judgment I guess but I don't know yeah I think the music video suggested was a cop that did it right like forgiveness is pretty Chad not gonna lie yeah I don't know it's it's hard it's hard though and again 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 I I really want to I really want to stress this though um your quest to forgive the folks that have done the horrible stuff out there and your 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 quest for compassion for people you disagree with shouldn't throw the innocence under the bus quite for lack of a better term it shouldn't it shouldn't hurt the the victims and the victimized in your quest to like be the bigger person the better person you that's where you got to have some limits i think i say you but it's general you it's the hypothetical you that's that's how I'm processing it right now. Anyway, is like finding that line between uh, where are the limits of my own compassion and trying to be a better person and trying to be the bigger person and and you know not think everyone who puts f- fucking like Nazi iconography on the table across from me is a literal Nazi when I show up to the table and I and I have that like that sort of like recourse where like my danger sense goes off a little bit because like I know what the iconography means and I go like that a little bit because most people probably don't. Where is that just going, like, yeah, and not, like, look for every little, like, microaggression to, like, mean something more. Like, where, how can I deal with that? And that's a me thing, everybody. That's that's not a you thing. But, but around the time you're seeking compassion for the people that that might be your enemies and, and they're, like, you know, it, it comes at the expense of, like, the marginalized and, and the victimized, then I think, I think you've crossed the line, probably. You want to give people avenues to, like, make mistakes and come back from it, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think Bo Burnham compl- said it all better. <laughs> Bo Burnham did it better in, a, in an entire special than I can do it in, like, a 20-minute rant on this show. Um, 
So, um, yeah, um, we spent, this is the longest I've ever talked about 40 K on this show, probably in the totality of 108 other episodes, man. I've broken so many records tonight. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So 40 K, uh, I want to, I want to reset back to like, um, you, uh, back to horror. This is a, the hard segue. Um, I actually took some notes here, but one of the things is I, I mentioned that like someone said like I, Hollywood equals culture, um, uh, and I mentioned that like horror kind of saved saved uh, the film industry mm-hmm. ba- via VHS and uh, sort of driving the market back to the theater and then having people buy the VHS versions of film and so on and so forth. And this this really like saved movies. T- it's it's difficult to think of like a time where like TV show and variety shows were about to kill films, but that was threatening to happen because you know look at where like the consumer can put their dollar like for you know like the the sort of ratio of dollar spent to entertainment gained. TV was a, a very good option, especially for like a you know a very troubled time period in in, in especially American history, um, and uh, and horror had that how much more horrific can you get from real life tragedy? Well, so I think it's a good question. I think one of the powers of horror is metaphor. If it's a literal real life tragedy, people have a, um, they usually don't focus on the message of the real life tragedy. They don't focus on like a learning period or a learning process or a processing period for their emotions. They're usually looking at the like, the literality of it. They're looking at the the sequence of events. They're looking at the the numbers and the fallout. Like when people see, you know, some bad thing happen for real, they get hit with an existential horror. How could that happen? This level of evil, right? Uh, and then they focus on these. Like they get kind of detail oriented. Uh, again, everyone reads into text what they kind of want a little bit, and uh, they really don't grow. They cement whatever they already believe in a certain way. The world's violent. The world's evil. Um, they don't really like interrogate their thoughts. They do so even less than with fiction. Because when it's real, there's no wiggle room. With fiction, you can take the same event. Uh, I, I referenced uh, uh, Black Christmas earlier, 1974. Uh, the, the most recent remake's actually pretty good. I haven't watched it. I, I haven't watched it recently yet to like confirm that I liked it. But the middle one in like the early two thousands was like fucking garbage. Um, but the, uh, the original 1974 is like, honestly, like we talk about Halloween too much for how, like this is the movie people should talk about the way they talk about Halloween. This is the one that like modernized the slasher. Halloween was a direct sort of homage to that. Um, but there were some dorm room killings from like a literal, uh, uh, I can't remember who did, who was the, uh, the the college campus killer. There's been quite a few, but there was a literal serial killer who basically did the thing, stalked some dorm, some college women in a dorm, and, and ended up like killing some some women in a dorm. Um, they took that very real event and they made the black uh, they made Black Christmas. And again, there was some really good social commentary in there and that, but because it was a horror movie, people didn't get caught up in the details of reality. They were able to like think about the like sort of like the 
underlying problem of what was happening and grow from it. This is why fiction and sci-fi, or this is why sci-fi, horror, and fantasy, I think, are... They access a deeper part of your brain than you normally engage with. If I come up to you and I write an essay about how poverty is bad, you're going to spend a lot of time scrutinizing my data. You're going to spend a lot of time, like... You're going to spend a lot of time, like, thinking about my sources. You're going to spend a lot of time thinking about my agenda. If I just, like, do a movie that says poverty is bad, actually, and it's just textual, like, I've just sold you on the narrative of poverty. And people are far more willing to engage with a narrative than they are with numbers and reality. Um, This is a good thing, bad thing. History isn't as objective as everyone thinks it is. Like, history has happened, but history is interpreted and sold to you via a narrative. This is why certain narratives dominate, and then we uncover new stuff and, like, realize, like, like, Christopher Columbus was a tyrant. That's not the narrative that has dominated for a very long time, because you only got the most cursory, he discovered America, you know, yeah, he mislabeled uh, Native Americans as Indians, and that was kind of a big deal, but he also landed in, like, South America, not North America. And, like, there's, you know, like, but nobody cares about the details of it. They care about the narrative of it. The story of Christopher Columbus. Right? You sell people on history by selling them on a story. History is constructed through, like, very boring details. Like, oh, here's a clay pot, and here's, like, a shipping manifest. And then they, they... read diaries and journals and diaries are subjective that's literally hearsay in a court of it in if i were to read somebody's diary and then go into the court and say oh i read this in their diary it would be thrown out as testimony it wouldn't live up to the scrutiny of of our our current legal system yeah i was reading in their diary and then i said this i read their diary and this is what happened you wouldn't accept that in a court trial we accept that as history like History lives on the power of narrative. History is practically fiction at this point. It has elements of truth, but so does fiction. So does the dorm room killing, right? Like, yeah, it's not as one-to-one as, like, we try to make history, but the point is, is when I tell you a history lesson, you take that as, like, kind of a de facto. When I write you an essay, you scrutinize it. And when I give you fiction, you don't even think about that. You just get the message. Certainly. Um, that's, I mean, you know. Do you think you can vamp for a while while I uh, top off the water glass and get more ice for uh, this? Sure, go for it. Right. Um, I'll see what chat's doing in the meantime, but I'll continue off on your yeah, tangent. You, yeah. Um, about, um, you know, that's, that's why, you know, Alien is... Uh, you know, it's supposed to be about, you know, the unbridled capitalism and lack of uh, safety standards and things like that. Um, you know, it also a rather than in there, uh, inverting huh? the, uh, in, alien inverts the uh, the pregnancy trope because it impregnates the men, it, which is really it certainly does. It certainly does a lot of things. Um, but, you know, your your comment about, you know, talking about poverty made me think about this specific thing. Um, there's specific acts. There's a specific point where Wayland Yutani is, you know, comically over the top and stupid. Um, uh, and I will answer your question in a second, Micah. Um, uh, the um, 
you know, Waylon Yutani is completely over the top because rather than force you to scrutinize uh, very specific moments where it could be pointed out like that, it's, you know, you're, you're addressing a general trend or feeling um, that, you know, allows people to identify with, even if it's not literal or exact, you know, everybody can at least identify with the idea of a company that doesn't care about them or puts their safety at risk. Anyway, coolest Goonhammer person. Um, none of the other guys are here to argue with me, so I'm going to say me. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I've never been cool. Um, cool in what sense, Micah? This is a safe space where I get to uh, play myself up. Um, drink a beer with. Okay, that's a you know that's a better way to frame that. Um, like a U.S. politician thing. Uh, well, if he ever finds this out, it'll go to his head. But probably uh, uh, Rob Jones, uh, the Kyrugian, who we would not have we would not have a site um, without his consistent work. Oh, the idea of cassowary cavalry is pretty cool. Um, in a, in a, yeah, I probably mispronounced that word honestly because I to this day I've heard it several times and I still mispronounce it. Um, but um, looking at the the chat, um, cassowary cavalry makes me think of uh, when they added tauntauns to Star Wars Legion. I got super excited, and for a while they were the most broken thing in the game. <laughs> so that was a fun couple of months. So chat, does anybody have any, I mean, we're coming up on it on Sunday. Does anybody have any Halloween plans? Driving. Oh, oh, oh! You you're playing Call of Cthulhu too. Hmm, makes you think. Very very strange question. <laughs> Um, uh, hold up. Apparently Chad is telling us that we're muted. I'm muted. Yeah, that was me. That's me. No, sorry. I, okay. I, I muted myself so you didn't get feedback from Alice while I was away. It's okay. They were protecting you from how boring it was. It's all right. Um, <laughs> that, 
that's amazing. Oh my, oh my god, people are yelling. You're muted. It's a it's a chat delay. Yeah, no, no, I get it. Um, yeah, my bad. Oh no, you're actually still muted. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm listening. To you. No, I'm not. I shouldn't be. I uh, I can see the the bars now. They're moving. Um, turn on your sound, Meth. No, I'd rather talk. Yeah, no, no. Sorry, it works now. Yep, you're no, good. No, I, I want you all to pretend. I want you all to pretend that I just said the most profound shit you've ever heard. That your entire worldview, you've had to like run some 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 uh, calibrations. <laughs> like, you're just like, wow, damn. Uh, uh, cut that out of the. Cut that one out. Yeah, I'll I'll fix it in post. Yeah. USA politician thing. So, what are your favorite horror movies? Here we go. Easy softball question. No, it's not. It's the hardest question. Is like, what are your favorite of whatever? Yeah, no, no. It's a. We talked about this a little bit before. Um, it, my favorite horror movie, especially the uh, last couple of years, um, uh, was Lake Bungo, um, which was recommended to me and was a surprise to me how good it was. Um, and um, I. I was always a big fan of Friday the 13th, but really only, like, the first two. Um, Interesting. Where there was some sense of um, it actually being scary and a, yeah. um, and an attempt to, like, address the themes that it was doing. And then sort of after that, it, it it's, it's, it's goofy fun after that, and that's certainly fine. But I it's it turned to much less of a horror movie at that point, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it could, which it could still be a good time, obviously. Um, what about you? Give me time to think some more. Uh, yeah, no, I'll I'll jump in there. I, I just want to talk about Friday the Thirteenth for a minute. I like Friday the Thirteenth, like Warhammer. Uh, tried to be apolitical, by the way. Like one Warhammer, I should say, forty k now. I think tries to be apolitical. Um, in its original conceit, it explicitly did not try to be apolitical. Um, which is probably some of the dissonance people feel with 40K right now. Is I It's trying to be apolitical now for mass market appeal, but it didn't initially. Um, Friday the 13th uh, watched Halloween and said, let's do that. But like, gorier. And yeah, sure. they... This is the, the, the this is a, a, a case for death of the author, but mind you, um, the main reason the reveal at the end is Jason Voorhees' uh, mother is just they wanted the twist like how Halloween had the twist at the beginning with it being the kid, and they're like, but what's a twist in you know modern horror sensibilities is like it's it's the woman, and what ends up happening is like you end up with this like great social commentary in the future. Because death of, again, death of the author isn't just about like pretend the author doesn't exist and like ignore them that they're a shitty person. Uh, like that's not what death of the author actually means. As an analysis, it's it's talking about like the text kind of what the text does outweighing authorial intent and what the author in, intended and and uh, mitigating for like contextual things of the time and so on and so forth. But then recognizing that texts go on to have a life of their own. Uh, long after the, the the authors literally die, right? Um, that's why, like Friday the Thirteenth, the first one's like actually like prob the most certainly the most groundbreaking of them, 
even though we don't have our iconic hockey mask until the third one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like Jason, yeah, that's Mrs. Voorhees is the killer plot twist. Mind blown, right? Um, but um, with Friday the 13th, it's always tried to like kind of be apolitical, which is interesting because it's attempts at being aggressively apolitical had it the center of all the talks of sex and violence in the politics. <laughs> like, um, which is, it, for me, that's that's like a great irony. Because well, it's one of those things, ultimately, you don't get to opt out of those things, you know. Um, you know, you might not, you may not care about those things as you're doing it, but we're all influenced by, our writing, our writing is always influenced by the, the world that we live in. And, you know, as much as you might want to try to escape it, you know, you, that thing is going to seep in. And that's, that is, I think, one of the cornerstones, I think, of Death of the Author, is the idea that the author does not have complete control over what right. their work means. Right. Um, like, um, I forget you it's not horror, but I think, I think one of the best examples that I often use is Tolkien specifically because he said that um, he's, he was very much against allegory. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, his, his statement, I, I love this. Story, I know where you're going. Story. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. No, no, but, but of course, you know, it, and, I, I get what he's saying, and I think he has a point. It's not a one-to-one analog, but it's certainly, you know, the, he was certainly inspired by the world around him and his yeah. uh, religious upbringing and things like that when world, designing the world. The world war. Is it an like... allegory? And, is it an, and, and, you know, in the wars, that, the war that he fought in and the war that he was going through when it was, that yeah. he was experiencing at home when he wrote it. Um, but, um, uh, you know, yeah. Um, is it, is it an allegory in the sense that it's literally one-to-one? No. no. But certainly inspiration is there, whether or not he wanted it or not. And that comes into with um, with art. Any, any piece of art that genuinely has value and genuinely is not shallow mm-hmm. has an author putting a part of their soul out there, mm-hmm. whether they mean to or not. And that's the interesting part of art. Sometimes it puts a part of our soul out there that we don't want to be there. Oh yeah, but there it is, mm-hmm. uh, and that and that is when art gets the most interesting. I think when it says a lot about the author that the author did not intend. Yeah, they're like implicit biases end up in there, and they didn't. They weren't trying to, right? Like, I I think that that happened with Tolkien to an extent. Like Tolkien didn't like did not set out to write like a, a war allegory or or Christian have any like sort of like a religious religious like analogs in there, and yet they were. We we we've all, we're all just balls of like of you know uh, nature versus nurture picking up like various like uh, you know implicit biases along along the lines and trying to account for them. Like um, it's really I think it's almost more telling when someone tries to write something apolitical and then they get something that ends up being political because it's like what they must have thought wasn't a political statement says says what they says about them what their politics are yeah yeah i think that that's always fascinating to me like the the story i'm working on right now is like i think pretty explicitly just i wanted to write red line but in but dante's inferno um like but like it's got like a, you know i wanted a I wanted a uh, uh i wanted a black protagonist and i wanted a i wanted to do a rope dope where like you think it's the no one's gonna read this fucking book so i'm gonna spoil it um uh, where like it's the da- the princesses in another castle, the damsel trope is subverted, and like it flips, and and he's the one being saved, and he was the one that like imagined this other thing in the like 
throes of death and it was her all along and her agency and all that stuff and like to just kind of like flip it and and like I'm like this isn't a political statement and like as I start describing it back I'm like oh shit I'm just literally describing like my mom and my stepdad and like um like and the violence that happened to them and I'm just like mixing it with stuff I like which is like anime and Dante's Inferno or the divine comedy I'm like all right like fuck <laughs> like I'm like setting out to write like a like a just something fun you know for fun so that I don't have to overthink it and just write it has turned into this thing where like when I reflected back on it or like I like I let some people read like the first three chapters and they're like oh man I love like the commentary you're putting in here I'm like it's a story about fast car going fast in hell like how am I writing commentary into this <laughs> but uh yeah uh, I do blow up Hit the Hitler mobile in the, at the starting line, though. So I think I'm pretty uh, pretty uh, explicit. Like I included Hitler in a book just to say he's in hell and blow up his story because of incompetence, or blow up his car because of incompetence. Um, it, I had to do the springtime for Hitler in that respect. Like it's it's so people are still gonna fucking misinterpret it because people will always misinterpret metaphor, but or uh, will always misinterpret texts. But whatever. Um. I'll have you know I took my earbud out for 30 seconds to avoid spoiler. Okay. Yeah, you may have accidentally given them a spoiler anyway. Oh well. Think of it think of it as a uh think of it as a teaser. Mm-hmm. Turn a positive spin on it. Yeah, and, and who knows how it'll end up after like the second rewrite or the third rewrite, right? So who knows? Um no, um resetting back to like Friday the thirteenth. Friday the thirteenth is is my of the horror series, that the sort of like iconic like Gen X sort of era, um, it's not my favorite. It's it's a you know controversial statement. It's got a zombie killer. You'd think I'd love it more. Um, I always went like Hellraiser and Nightmare on Elm Street were like like my two main ones because the I always liked them a little bit weirder, a little bit more cerebral. You know, like not not cerebral. That's highfalutin garbage phrasing um i always like them to be less less real you know like yeah psychological yeah yeah surreal that works too yeah surreal i always like like the more of the surreal horror a little bit like i like supernatural horror a lot more than i like sort of the the grounded the killer could be real like and go ahead and it it's 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 an interesting thing to me because i i don't think I don't think Friday the 13th improves on the formula that Halloween set out. Um, how uh, rewatching Halloween is always fascinating to me because it's, it's, it's interesting to see those, like it's, it's so rare that you get to point at a single piece of work that started a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and Halloween is sort of the, sort of a pretty good example of that, the slasher genre. Um, and, um it's it's also amazing how subdued scream is or sorry i said scream because it's in the chat you read chat uh, yeah sorry subdued halloween is yeah um how ha- halloween is so, feels so subdued and that actually makes it more relatable yeah um and i and i a lot of it a lot of it works because it was preying on uh you know during the 70s suburbia, there was uh, suburban fear right like uh, an un- unprecedented crime a crime rate rise that's when you know crime was sort of at its peak um and so you know it 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 sort of played with those fears you know of crime in suburbia which you know of course is is also still too an entitlement 
thing because yeah. most of the crime was not happening there. But yeah. it, it does prey on a very particular fear of the time and the era. Um, and it's extremely effective at that because it feels so uh, it feels so grounded in that aspect. It doesn't get too out there. And if you're trying to if you're trying to prey on this realistic fear, it's more effective to not get cartoony with it. Well, um, I mean, John Carpenter's whole premise for it, and and it was what was it? it was John Carpenter and uh, and Deborah Hill uh, were like, uh, we can't not mention Deborah Hill in this because she was like equal partners in the conceit and delivering it and every aspect, like a lot of like the making it work and function were actually Deborah Hill, and and she always gets left out of it because it's you know it's John Carpenter, but um. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had this conceit of what if you can't kill evil? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was the whole conceit of the film is like, and that's why like Mike Myers, the character is just evil and the supernatural elements don't even play into it because it's not about that. And it makes it more just haunting and just it hits you on a primal level this notion of this yeah like they're they're playing into like white suburbanite fears of 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 crime from the inner city which is uh gremlins also did that too by the way uh gremlins had the same uh preying on white suburbanite fear of crime from the inner city but they were very explicit with their message with the gremlins um uh i love horror so much oh god horror is great um it's <laughs> um but uh yeah so it was just like this this like Preying on the fear of the time, the sort of zeitgeist, and being aware and like keying in on it and getting people to buy into the cons into the fear, but then also just this like sort of timeless message of, you know, can you kill evil? It was never intended to have a sequel. The end where like essentially we know like Mike Myers is just not the body's just gone, wasn't supposed to be like sequel bait. The way uh, Jason coming out the water was intended to be sequel bait. Uh, by the execs at the time, like that—that's that was the executive decision ending, not the, not not the scripted or directorial ending. Uh, execs said like, "What if, you know, water and then, uh, whatever." Um, getting into the weeds here. Um, but like just this like, you can't kill evil was kind of like this, and then just like showing these little like lingering shots of like all the various places that evil could hit. Right, it's sort of like delivering on its premise. Can you kill evil? Mm -hmm. No. And that that's the answer to the premise. And, and so, like, it was a completed story. That Halloween 2 even happened was, like, like purely, like, executive-driven. And to get Deborah Hill and, and Carpenter back on it was, like, kind of insane. But apparently, like, John Carpenter was, like, struggling with alcoholism the whole, like, for the whole second one. Where he was sober for the first. And that had some effects on, on the finished product, but... Uh, but then also, like, the studio needing to make it bigger, better, badder. And then having a writer tell a story that they had finished is so difficult. Like, as a speaking as a writer, and you're a writer as well, like, it's so difficult. It, it, this is this is the unintentional theme of the evening. We've talked about it with the world that was. We've talked about it with 40K. Continuing to tell a story that has no development left in it. Right? Mm -hmm. Like... How do you do that? Horror constantly falls into this 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 trap, and Hollywood is is 
driven by rebakes, uh, reboots and remakes. Like that's that's what drives them these days, anyway, and kind of always secretly. Like a lot of the like the earliest best films you remember were just remakes of films or books too. Even though like that was a real wake up call when I found that one out. It's like oh, I didn't see the original. Yeah. Ah, oh, but that got us Halloween three, Susan the Witch. Um, you can probably find other slashes before that. Also. Yeah, um, a lot of people. Yeah, Macbeth, haha. Macbeth, Macbeth was the original slasher. Is a meme. Uh, it's either Psycho or uh, some like uh, schlock B tier. There's a there's like a like a really random other one, but Psycho is often attributed as like kind of like the the real first the real first slasher. Um, certainly. Certainly. Um, and Halloween is like... I didn't want to get too pedantic with it, but Halloween is the one that really did, like, make the genre, though. Like, slashers existed. Nobody was out there rushing to make... to remake Psycho. They rushed out to remake Halloween. The great... For me, the great, like, so sort of poetry of it is, is Halloween is riffing on uh, Black Christmas 1974. So, like... Uh, what I'm saying, everybody, is like, you can't, if you want to be a horror snob, go watch that movie. And then every time someone talks about how great Halloween is, accurately talks about how great Halloween is. Just push, grow glasses suddenly, push them up and go, oh, actually, and then tell them about Black Christmas 1974. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I mean, John, they like, Human humanity's capacity for violence towards humanity is like a major theme of, of of horror. Uh, oftentimes, we see that in like a lot of the zombie flicks, right? Um, zombie has shifted its attention. Have you have you noticed that? Is it just me? Like zombie film used to like kind of be a takedown of like the status quo, and at some point it feels like it became like weird, like weird, like um like reinforcement of the status quo and like machismo and cruelty towards each other and stuff like it it i don't know i know what you're trying to say um, I, I don't want to i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to lead the conversation too much with like my opinion no, of zombie no, media, I, I, you know, I I know I know what you're trying to say, and it's um, uh, like zombie media, you know, in the I think I think it was doomed much sooner than you um, than your your reckoning, um, you know, again our our modern our our mono our modern concept of um, uh our modern concept of uh zombie movies really i think the focal point is um uh dawn of the dead um is you know Snyder, certainly there were Snyder's remake you mean or or no 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 i i think i think uh the original okay um sort of our modern concept of zombies comes out of that certainly there were earlier zombie movies um but i think a lot of the modern tropes come from that movie as like a focal point um and it's a bit of a odd movie to see now because it has a very like, 
uh, to me, it has an almost juvenile makes you think quality to it about uh, oh, it's it's about it's it's about consumerism, consumerism. because there are zombies in a mall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did I blow your mind? Yeah. Um, you know that and... was unintentional, supposedly. Like this is death of the author again. Like don't it, buy. That. I don't buy it for a second. Yeah, I know. Like <laughs> oh no, on the nose. Yeah, it's it, no way you are making that film and you didn't at some point go. Oh shit! This is a takedown of consumerism. There's no way you were yeah. like no way. It's so on the nose about it. I think I think that I think that it's like when he got called out on it, he was like, "Well, no, no, obviously, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make a point that obvious." Um, right. Wanted to like and, preserve the like Artur. Like I'm way smarter, cleverer than yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Um, no, and and when you get called out for your metaphor being a little too obvious, you're gonna be like, "Well, no, obviously, I didn't mean that." But no, there's a but, deeper um, layer that you haven't discovered yeah, yet. You haven't caught it yet. Yeah. Um, but no. Um, Writers I, are I liars. Think, We're all liars. I do think it. I do think it shifted away from that actually quite quickly. I do agree that, like, especially it's become more overt with like, um, The Walking Dead. You know, has a big thing now and 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 nowadays too with like zombie like people who are like way too into zombie fiction. I. It's one of those things that I kind of like raise an eyebrow at. Um, it's like, is this person just think it's really cool, or do they just fantasize about being able to murder a lot of people with no repercussions? I love um, this where because where I thought you were going and where you went are actually different. So we're gonna have a conversation. Okay, right now. we can so, circle yeah. back around. Yeah, yeah, yeah keep going, minute. keep going. Yeah, keep um, going. But I think that that is not something that happened very suddenly. I think it was something that happened. Uh, uh, gradually but was always kind of there there is a power fantasy in there and being able to um i, I forgive take down a board a bit. Like, and I there's and there's no and there's no societal repercussions for doing so um and yeah so there, there is a power fantasy aspect in there but i i do did find that you know especially in the walking dead it does appeal to a certain sort of uh i found it, it was often often a um, often some of the biggest fans were uh, libertarians um, because the whole breakdown of society thing is like a libertarian like a, a, wet dream. A, a fantasy. Yeah, yeah it's it's a fantasy. A, the total fantasy. Yeah, no. And, I... and then and then you get to be the you get to be the the prepper who knows how to operate without you yeah. know society's rules, man. I've got such a paradoxical take on this. It's funny. Um, I refer to the Walking Dead. Uh, I refer to the Walking Dead as the libertarian paradise. Like mm -hmm. it's it's a libertarian like power fantasy at in at its purest form, um, like in the but I don't malign that I just call it that. No, and I, so there's like a little fine. bit of a you know like I'm like I I think like again people don't read texts on this level. You're watching Rantcast right now about horror to to learn to read horror on that on that level. Um, this is this is this is the teaching moment. Um. So, like, the libertarian power fantasy is there, and I, I'm a lot more forgiving of power fantasies than, like, like other progressives, I think, because, like, yeah, obviously. Like, of course I want to escape reality. It sucks. Uh, and I would like to go to a reality where I, where I am empowered in some way. And I have zombie escape routes planned, like, in my house. And I am far more forgiving of, like, doomsday preppers as a culture than I think I ought to be. Uh, like, because I kind of get it, especially considering most doomsday preppers, like, 
uh, are like a direct product of the fucking Dust Bowl or like World War Two or um, or the Red Scare. Like I mm-hmm. understand being fucking like either fed the most aggressive propaganda any generation of individual has ever been fed or growing up in a household that was fed that propaganda to where now mom and dad are telling you the the propa- the familial version of the propaganda like that shit is that's going to get in you you know like <laughs> it's just going to get like so i like this is that like is my compassion towards something that like that is probably has a toxic element to it probably too like out of whack right now could be like cuz I, I i get doomsday prepping and i think like you know i am very pro decentralized government i'm very pro like i think big government versus little government is a fucking lie it's just a lie to get people not even thinking very hard about the intricacies of what government truly means uh like because like who's the government what is the government am i the government i'm a government subcontractor i work for the entire city that i live in um, now I'm a private employee, but I'm paid by them. Uh, and I exist on a network that is a federal program. My job doesn't exist without the government, but I'm a private employee. Like the, the, even like the notion of like big government versus small government is just a lie. It's it's just a total lie that people, that stops people's brains from thinking about, uh, like the actual intricacies of society so that you can have these weird bra- blanket sweeping, things about you know what's causing your problems and uh that sucks because you once you stop thinking about your problems then you stop trying to solve them and you find scapegoats um so like i, I but again i'm probably a little bit more for for like i'm probably like too compassionate towards like doomsday preppers but like honestly you know what doomsday preppers currently watching like you made it past the, like the holocaust stuff um and we know there's a bunch of like like alt-right people in the in the prepper movement um but you made it past that and you're here now like i see you i i do i get it your granddad lived for the dust bowl or your dad went through the red scare and i get it um i too think mres are actually pretty sweet and one of my favorite channels is just a guy saying nice and eating mres on youtube it's 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 pretty it's pretty chill like i i get it um but that that like libertarian power fantasy the thing that bothers me about it is the degree to how little human life means to the people in, engaged in that fantasy. The switch I see happening isn't about consumerism. It's about that humankind's capacity for violence towards humankind. Night of the Living Dead, the zombies were an affect. It could have been a tornado. Okay? It could have been anything. The source of all the, like, real drama and fear and tension comes from the humans in in Night of the Living Dead. Um, And that's a trend we see through most of it. But the messaging is usually on the cruelty of humans to humans equals bad. The switch that I saw happen wasn't about the consumerism or or fear of the government, which happens in uh, Return of the Living Dead is like you get a fear of the government and stuff like that. Um, sorry, Return of the Living Dead, by the way, is the is is the best one. Uh, it is the best one. 
Uh, it's where the zombies finally eat the brains. Uh, it's about a bunch of pu- it's about how punks defeat the government through the power of being punk and like there's like an androgynous character. So be punk, be androgynous, and like uh, it's 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 awesome. It's the best one. Um, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's uh, Return of the Living Dead and Shaun of the Dead, two best, uh, and Train to Busan, three best zombie movies. Get at me. Uh, at Mr. M underscore meth. For me, it's the cruelty, though. At some point, zombie movies relish in the cruelty as opposed to, like, say, hey, ain't that fucked up? And that's the switch I saw in zombie movies. It was at in the early zombie movies, like, yeah, the gore is, like, yo. But, like, at the end of all of the movies or throughout the movies, you always got the sense that isn't that fucked up. And... Now The Walking Dead and post Zack Snyder, like, um, Dawn of the Dead, it's been, like, and I'm not even going to talk about the fact that, like, Zack Snyder's violence is, like, is visited on all of the minorities. (laughs) Gotta kill the black guy super cruel because he actually wants to take care of his kid. What the fuck does that say about Zack Snyder's, like, view on, like, black family dynamics got it the black guy is actually recklessly like wants to like have the baby be born and then we got to like kill like that's weird the gay guy's gotta gotta die because he likes to wear shoes and he's gotta die cruelly and incompetently the woman who's a slut has to die like literally the worst just that's one of those like death of the author thing where I don't think he intended to write it that way, but I got to learn a lot about like what Zack Snyder believes watching that movie back recently. I I mean I I would argue I I would be very cautious about that. I I don't, I don't like psychoanalyzing authors. I actually think that that is the intent of uh, death of the author, um, not to put the their baggage on it. And I and I and you know it's not to push back on you it's just that i think that i think that is certain sort of dangerous thinking because you do know push, that, do that's push back against, on me. do push back on me go ahead that's that that sort of thought process is used against anyone who writes anything that might be potentially offensive like who, who and i don't necessarily mean offensive in the way of like you know the turner diaries is offensive we know what's going on there i mean offensive in the way that you know it it might push back against uh society or something like that uh, if it's particularly egregious in its violence or something like that, you know, people's immediate thought is, you know, oh, what sort of demented mind could think something like that? Um, yeah. Whether or not Zach, whether or not whether or not Zack Snyder is a good person, I don't I'm not going to say that. I don't. Certainly I don't, I don't not. care. I don't know. Um, yeah, like... But I, I, I don't think I don't think it's constructive to psychoanalyze someone based off of their work. Um, no. The okay. whole point. Fair. The whole point of thing we discussed from the beginning was, you know the the point of fiction is to be able to explore ideas in a safe space and sometimes uncomfortable thoughts can come out but let's not let those thoughts be who we are that's fair no i mean thank you actually no seriously uh sincerely thank you like um i don't want to make a prescriptive judgment on Zack snyder based on dawn of the dead ultimately ultimately i think really and you said this a couple times already I think that Zack Snyder is not engaging on that level. I think he's a very dumb person. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't think he's. I mean that in the most in the most banal sort of way. That I think that he doesn't intend any offense. He's just not aware of what he's saying. Oh, the the recent one th- that he just did for uh, Netflix, the 
something of the dead. Yeah, I, I didn't see that, but I heard very bad it, things. It was fine. Like, it's another fucking Jesus metaphor, because all he's made... Yeah, it's, it's what he knows. He just, just makes Jesus metaphors. Um... But like it's it's fine. Like it was fine. Like it was like the the DACA was big and and Batista was like had a had like an emotional compelling arc. It was all contrived and it had no idea what its tone was and like it it, it all the, like the standard trappings of like a big budget like summer flick. But it wasn't released in a theater where people would have viewed it more favorably because then they would have went ooh ah at the like fireworks instead. It was your home box office so then they weren't distracted by the ooh-ah of the fireworks so they got to get more critical of it than they probably should have because it really just was like here's a zombie movie now that I have a budget and I can just be dumb like sure. so, so, and, and, and not, not dumb like, but that's the thing is like, like oh what if this scene is like what if this scene is like Silent Hill yeah 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 let's do a Silent Hill scene and like what if this scene is like Gladiator, yeah, yeah, let's do a gladiator scene, like, and just like literally just going through and like, like all the things that I like and just make a rant. Like, I fucking, I actually get that. Like, I really do as like as a as a art artist. Like, I understand just just stealing everything you love and just wanting to do that. Like, that's my whole career. Um, so like I I like it was fu- it was fine. It was I watched it. I wanted more from it. But it was it was fine. No, I, the, my my point about Dawn of the Dead is really more on the cruelty aspect. And I, and I yeah, circling back to that because I did have a think on that. I did have a thought on that. Um, I did think that um, uh, I did think that that was um that comes in with the the whole power fantasy aspect because you're right. I think there has been a shift towards you know celebrating the violence versus like well yeah it's 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 the the old trope and it doesn't necessarily it's it's gendered but it doesn't have to be gendered it's hard men making hard decisions mm-hmm. um you know there's there's a sort of glorification about you know you know executing someone who's dying anyway or uh abandoning someone who is dead weight um and there has been a glorification of you know sometimes it takes a, a hard man to make a hard decision and again that's a gendered statement but you know there's there's now it's, been a, it's, a, co- it's a colloquial statement yeah it's a colloquial but, but, um, I get the colloquialism but it's it, there is a sort of like um romanticization of it um romantic yeah i love sorry speech impediment um but it, yeah. there's a, there's a sort of glorification of that um that you know to be the tough guy to make the hard choice that nobody else is willing to make um and i think that there, there's there's a lot of aspects about that that comes along with the the power fantasy aspect um the individual the rugged individualist power fantasy um and also it does sort of play into mascu- toxic masculinity as well mm-hmm. um the as you know certain certain aspects of masculinity slip away as being um, part of society. Uh, they're no longer beneficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is sort of a, a romanticization about going back to those things about, you know, we, we need hard men again. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, perfectly, perfectly put uh, good expanded thought. Um, I think that's, 
I the Vegas zombie zomblor movie. I was I was again I was fine with. Um, I I really was, but at, at its core, like this this notion of the the cruelty or the the hard men making hard decisions is uh, the co- the colloquial or the trope of it all. It it doesn't sell me on it. Like Train to Busan, which I mentioned earlier, um, Train to Busan is actually kind of like I think subverts that. Its whole thing is like. When people work together, they progress the scene. And when people are selfish in the scene, then a ton of people die. Um, and, like, we had these zombie films about, like, sort of, like, togetherness being the, the triumphant part of it all. Even mm-hmm. original Dawn of the Dead and uh, even Night of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead. Like, the sort of, like, older zombie movies asserted that, like, like bad things are going to happen to the people you know. But you, but working with them, is how you tr- you 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 overcome the thing, and it doesn't always end well, but at least you're like humanity is intact in the end. Sure. And there has been an abandonment of that for that reckless individualism in zombie films because they become these like libertarian power fantasies, of like hard man making tough decision doing thing and stuff and or woman or envy like, and it's just. It feels they haven't been as I don't know like I just haven't enjoyed them since. But then the scale feels like it's tipped back the other way now because I've seen Train to Busan and I've seen Alive and I've seen uh uh, uh on what is it uh Red not Red Dawn not Red Sky what is it Oh gosh it's it's on Shutter right now I'm blanking I'm gonna blank forever um uh. uh like seen a new uh, Shutter Zombie movie about a Canadian one, and like they've seemed to like kind of like been going back because they recognized like that their own subversive media has been subverted to become this status quo, and they're like, yo, that's not cool. Like horror, horror and comedy are the two most subversive medias. Like they subvert the norms, and maybe for a period, no, because. We never were collectivists. Like we've we've never. What were you subverting? Unless you were subverting specific trends. I reject my own premise. I was about to make by thinking about it for one second longer. Like horror is a subversive media. In in totality as a whole, like you're you're subverting some societal norm. But society has never drifted towards like actual like socialism in America. Like it, it's never gone collectivist. Not even remotely close. We we. That's not true. Uh, we had a bunch of social programs coming out of World War II and into World War II and all the way up until Reagan. Like we were pretty social. Um, I don't. I don't know. But we've always had this like reverence for like the reckless individual, like conquering the West as a as a culture in America. Like that's that's part of our DNA. Um, I don't know. Horror makes you think. Everybody see. Look look at what's what's happening now. Um, did you see Red Letter Media video about that Vegas? No, I didn't see the Red Letter Media. Their Red Letter Media does good stuff. Also based out of uh, out of my home area, so legit. There, um, I know the video is talking about. It was quite good. Uh, you want to elaborate? You want to mention it and kind of go into it? Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while since I saw it, but they they had a lot of they had a lot of good criticisms to make about it. It's almost a beat for beat, uh, more mediocre remake of Aliens. I mean, Hero Worship's fine, though. If it's a beat-for-beat remake, that's kind of sad. 
But I think Zack Snyder just internalized aliens and what if I did that but zombies and didn't even realize that's what he was doing. So, yeah. Oh, no. He did it the wrong way, though. Because he did it with the patriarchy instead of, like, a matriarchy. Oh, gross. <laughs> uh, yeah. Micah phone just redeemed a thousand RDP to remind everyone that chat gang ain't nothing to mess with. That's what that button does. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. Zombie. I still like zombies. Though. Sure. Like I like I I'll always kind of like like zombies. And you asked me my favorite horror movies, and I went on this huge tangent because I had to talk about Friday the Thirteenth. Um. I like Nightmare on Elm Street one. And three. I actually really enjoy Friday the 13th 7. So my sister was the horror fan growing up. My entire... We, we were poor as fuck. We didn't have cable. Um, but what my mom did have was this just wall of, of illegally, questionably re copied VHS tapes with like little handwritten things on them. Usually like three movies per tape just a wall of them that she'd record off of like free 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 preview weekends or get a pay-per-view at a friend's house and she just had this like catalog of films from like you know from like just like going all the way back like i had uh watched the the uh the v series from uh uh the old miniseries v it was like a alien flick it was weird. It was cool. Um, she had all this stuff like Gremlins and a bunch of horror movies, tons of Jean-Claude Van Damme, tons of Bruce Lee, just like this whole like catalog of like of crazy films um, that were just like all I can describe it as is like just Gen X, like a distillate of like everything that Gen X was um, mm -hmm. and hundreds of movies like just on these tapes like. So I saw the color purple, like just tons of these tapes, and that would that was my like catalog growing up. But like the like coveted ones were the horror movies, you know. Like we had some, there was like a couple Disney ones or whatever, but the coveted ones were the were the horror movies. And my sister, who was younger than me, was the one who would always put on the horror film, and mm -hmm. uh, like for a period there when I was like young, I I liked just like kind of like. I was like gravitated towards like Bruce the the Bruce Lee and Jean Claude Van Damme stuff, um, but she played the original term. We we had the original Terminator, and like that was a scary sci fi movie, and it was just like, and then I could watch Aliens, and and then I could like watch Pumpkinhead, and uh, and then I could watch Nightmare on Elm Street, and it just like it just opened the door into all that stuff. But but Shauna's favorite movie was. Um, was uh, uh, Friday the 13th 7, which is the one where the girl has psychic powers and fights and fights Jason. And mm. it, there was like kind of a little bit of a eureka moment for me because we both came from like the really, we both came from a bad house, you know, and we got split up eventually by the life. And uh, I ended up living with relatives and my mom ended up getting her back from foster care and like it's the whole thing. Um, and, uh, and I was, like, kind of, like, reflecting on, like, because I was, like, watching, like, power fantasies, too, and, es like, I, my escape is vices of, like, escaping my reality to go live in these these other worlds. And she escaped through, like, horror. 
But of course she 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 loved and escaped through the horror film that had like the girl with psychic powers. That was her favorite one. That was the one we watched the most together. And like it's just it like I've watched some like critical reviews of it and like it kind of gets like ha- like people kind of hate it and stuff. Um but I don't because I have just this like amazing memory of like of my sister just always insisting we watched it, you know? And then having to like barter which movies we'd watch, you know, like okay, we're gonna watch that, but I'm gonna watch, uh, but I'm gonna watch Total Recall first, and I'm older, so we're gonna watch my movie first, and we watch, you know, it was just this whole like thing, and uh, I don't know, like, like I I've really been thinking about like this the Scream Queens and the sort of representation of women in horror lately, even though there was a lot of violence against women from the perspective of my sister and some other folks I've talked with, and it's like. I don't know, there's there's a lot of counterculture to horror that I think is important and relevant. Even if, like, it has to, like, go into ugly places to sure. get to get there. And and coming back to that whole point of, like, processing the sort of ugly in a safe space, because, like, you put a ghost in a horror movie and it goes boo and it scares you and so on and so forth, and, like, you're watching the horror movie and that tension that you have the whole time, it goes away. Like, yeah, like, some of the, the really, really good ones you, you sit there and you think about afterwards and you think about it and, like, you go to bed and you turn on the lights and, like, ah, and you scare yourself because you see a reflection in it. But, like, but ultimately speaking, like, the conceit of the film or whatever the, like, trauma the film is dealing with, it resolves it in some manner. So that you're left to, like, once you've processed whatever it is within the scope of that world, you go back to our world and you've gotten to, like, experience those, like, alien feelings of alienation, feelings of fear, feelings of trauma. Like, you get to, like go through it all and then the credits roll and then you get to like leave it. And I think there's something super valuable to all of that. Sorry. What is it with women and horror? I STG, the majority love it. And I don't know. I don't know why. What's STG? Swear to God. Oh, the majority love it. And I don't know why. Majority love what? Like horror? Horror. Oh, yeah. um I don't think so. I think it's it's had a resurgence in the in the recent years as like the existential dread of zoomers and and uh and millennials has reached a peak and we've like we've tried to seek out media to like feel better and we and none of the like none of the hopeful stuff does it, none of the hopium's working and like watching Marvel movies feels, you know, rote and Disney's kinda lost its they're really technically proficient and great at making films, but they're all so cynical now. Um, I think people have sought other media to alleviate the stress, and then they watch a horror movie that does that really well. Because, like, again, it scares you. It it actually, like, you feel the, like... So, like, I you live day-to-day, or I live day-to-day with, like, just, like, anxiety and depression and stuff like that. But, like, my anxiety and depression doesn't go through an arc. It's just, you just hold that. Like, you just, that's yours now. You're just, you're just going to feel that way all day. When you watch a horror movie, like, the anxiety, like, builds up. But then, like, it has these, these release valves throughout it, which is, like, super cathartic. Um, I think that's, I think that's, like, kind of, like, the, the big relevance. I, I think as, as our, our dread for society, like, raises, as this, the fear of the unknown raises our, 
we want to watch something that explains the unknown. Like, oh, it was a ghost. It was a boogeyman. It was a crazy slasher hillbilly. Like, we want to. We want something that explains the dread we feel, and so we gravitate towards a, a film that says like that horror, that fear that you feel, that's really palpable and real in your life. That anxiety, that tension. Come watch it in a film where the bad guy is an actual thing, like the where it's 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 galvanized it it becomes concrete and because it becomes concrete in the film then it can it can play out to a to a resolution um i know it's a a big thing in in many horror to have like a like a sort of like open ending but that's way better than what we get right now in life in fact open endings are good because they help you like the the arc that you've experienced throughout it and hopefully the some bit of closure you've had throughout that experience and the interrogating your own trauma the open ending says go and take that out there and process what you've processed here out there. So open endings are actually pretty good. When they're not just like cynical sequel bait. Cynical sequel baits, you know, different category. Um like yeah. Like you can't kill evil but you can overcome it is ultimately the message of Halloween, right? Like like Evil's still going to be out there, but you can personally overcome it. That's that's why it's a pretty, you know, a pretty sweet story. Even if you think it was more of a cynical ending because, you know, Mike Myers lives. You don't have to defeat the horror to have processed the trauma, I guess is what I'm saying. Sure. And I think that, that that's... It never a, really goes away. Yeah, and I think that's a valuable lesson for humanity and society. Um, you know, like, the, the problems we're tackling in reality are seemingly insurmountable you know like how do you even begin to process like climate change and uh political systems that don't work for the people anymore you know whether you, you know left right center or whatever i don't care what you what you nobody thinks the government works for them right now no not a single person across the, the political spectrum unless you are you know the hyper wealthy right um sure and and I think there's, there's, there is an optimism even in the most cynical horror in that like you 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 get to survive. Um, I don't know. You don't have to defeat the order horror in order to survive. Yeah, I think that that's worthy. I mean, there are like horror movies where like everyone's dead at the end and like gotcha, but but um no, I I mean there's there's still. There's still ways you can interface with with the world. There's still things you can do. You know the camaraderie along the way. The the, you know, whatever it is. So, I think that's why I think the best horror is is compassionate. Um, you can kill all your characters as long as you're like interrogating the thoughts from a compassionate uh, uh, stance. You know, give me something to like take away from your film. If it's just everybody dies, I'm plenty nihilistic myself. I don't need I don't need your help, movie. Thank you. So, <laughs> Alice, any uh, any any thoughts? No, um, it's, it's a profound statement that you made that is difficult for me to t to follow up on. Honestly, any uh, any 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 final thoughts, AOS or otherwise? No, we certainly went to a far broader range of topics than I thought we were going to get to. 
I'm surprised we spent like 40 minutes on on 40k. Like that was that was pretty insane. That's I've never talked about 40k that long in my life. Well, not my life, but on this show. So that was pretty awesome, actually. Um, I just like having good conversations. Um, so digital soapbox. Anything you want to put on blast? Anything you want to shout out? Uh, not anything new. That not anything new. Just go to goonhammer.com if you haven't been there. There you go. Uh, and if they want to follow you on Twitter. Uh. At Ragnarok Sword, I'll put it in the chat. Brilliant. All right, chat gang, you are the show within the the show. The reason we do this thing. Um, hope that wasn't too much of a downer at the end. You know, um, I think there's a, a horror film out there for everybody. You don't have to like love horror to find something that's going to resonate with you. Um, just like any genre. It runs the gamut of, of messaging and theme and levels of scary and you know there's a there's there's something out there for you and uh, it is my mission not only to tell you that uh, that death is the best fact uh, Grand Alliance and death in in Age of Sigmar uh, that death is best uh, these guys are super legit too they're awesome um, that death is best in AOS and you know to have fun and build a community and do all those things. But it's also my mission in life to help you find a horror thing that works for you because there's, there's something out there for everybody. And uh, yeah, so drink your milk, pay your taxes, uh, check in, you the show within the show. The reason I do this thing, I will catch you next time. Good night, Alice. Bye.